Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Bloody awesome. Bloody awesome. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke, and with me from across the pond is Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. Matt, I uh, see so you got a, a nice little turtle mug. Was that a turtle mug or am I seeing things? What was the mug? Teenage oh, Mutant oh. Ninja Turtles, Mark. John, this is an auspicious occasion. This is, is this our fourth Bampy Awards now? I, I think so. I think this is the As fourth hosts, annual Bampies. We should know this, um, but I, don't, I think it is. No, it is because we've done, we did one Bampies where we didn't tell each other what we were voting on. The second one we did tell each other in advance. Last year we didn't. And then last year. Number four, Mike. This is the biggest show, award show of the year, my friend. We've got dressed up. I've got a ghostbusters christmas jumper on look we're only just finished christmas so matt's favorite movie shirt um favorite movie and also his favorite movie shirt it is i almost wore that as well on the sleeve i think anything on Um, the back not that i'm gonna make you stand up and turn around but it it would be impossible for me to easily stand up and turn around i have like literally a (laughs) table tray on my lap and then a table in front of me that houses my computer so i got a whole lot going on um yeah, if I if I have an emergency bathroom break, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be like knocking things over to get to it kind of thing. So it's I got to my, night. my okay. beverage slowly. Um, so folks, uh, one the the Bampies. It's the end of 2023. It's actually technically we're in 2024 already, but we haven't seen any 2024 movies yet, uh, to my knowledge. I think everything I have seen so far are still technically dated as 2023 or something else. Um, an interesting thing about this year, I think before we get into our awards, um, we should talk about the year in general, uh, in 2022, I saw my favorite movie, the movie that ended up winning best picture at the Oscars, everything, everywhere, all at once. I saw that four times before we recorded the Bampies last year. None of my movies hit that number this year. I, the most I saw a movie was two times, but there's like eight movies that hit two times. Not all of those are movies I even liked. Some of them I saw at a screening and my wife was like i want to see that and i'm like gotcha. fine fine happy i will life, go watch life. it a second time i was very grateful she did not want to see aquaman uh the lost kingdom because i don't know if i could make oh. it through a second viewing of that spoilers um, for your best picture john i, well, I shouldn't <laughs> be giving things away but um this year for there were some big movies that got knocked out of the running for the year like dune 2 was supposed to come out we didn't get to see it because they pushed it back because of the strike um but overall i think there were some really great movies in 2023 like there's some incredible movies movies that i think we might come back to in a few years and just like wow how how great was this but last year when i saw everything everywhere all at once the very first time i was like this is my movie this is something special it i it immediately jumped into my like top 50 and it ended itself after seeing it four times in my top five all time i love that right. movie and i i hope it stays there i hope it doesn't like dwindle with time or if i if my taste changed dramatically and i don't like the silliness that's in that movie i don't think so but i'm always afraid of that but i didn't have that with anything this year there wasn't a movie where i immediately was like this is my 
favorite. Like, and again, I don't know if that needs to happen every year, but like, it does make it narrowing down. What are you going to put at number one? Way harder if you didn't have that kind of mm-hmm. um, aha moment or like this is this movie talks to me. This movie hits me in a way that I just I can't discount. Like, I don't have that this year. And again. There's incredible movies. I think there's some great films. There's movies that I I've been recommending. There's some, uh, there's there's so many movies that I'm not even going to get to talk about today because it, it just didn't have a place in the awards. But I absolutely loved or felt, you know, like man, I really hope I get to rewatch this. And that's something I I want to try to do more of going forward. Is I used to rewatch movies too much. Like there are some films from my my childhood that I've seen a hundred times, you know. And then there are movies, and if a movie's come out in the last like five years, six years, I've probably only seen it once unless the very few exceptions where I've like, like everything everywhere all at once. Um, there's a few other movies that I've gone back to a couple of times, but like I have not hit any double digits with any movies in the last six or seven years, even though there are films that I love unless I mm. taught them there, there might be one or two that I've taught and thus I showed multiple times um, yeah, yeah. in class, like La La Land. I might have double digits at this point. Cause I've taught La La Land several times. So, uh, I don't know. I just I think that's an interesting thing. I don't know how you felt about the year, Matt, but that was kind of my take of 2023, like incredible films. But I just I don't think I have a favorite coming out of 2023 that's like going to be up there in my top 50. Uh, at least I don't I don't know for sure, obviously. But uh, there's there's one, but I definitely need to rewatch it before I can even start to lock it in. I think I do. I think I have one of those films, maybe not to the level that you did with everything everywhere, but there are a few films this year which I think are outstanding. And like you said, like any good award show, big or small, obviously we're the biggest, um, there's always going to be some that don't make the cut just because there are the amount of volume of films that are coming out is part of the reason yeah. why I am similar to you, where I, I don't really double-digit films anymore. I very rarely double-watch films anymore because most yeah. most times of a weekend there's at least two films coming out or you've got uh, netflix or whatever streaming series is dropping a film so you kind of feel and as we we write we are film journalists we film critics we like to write about film there's always that kind of desire to watch them but also we want to keep our content going and also to another extent we do an end of year award show we want to make sure we're doing the most definitive list that we can do even if yeah. we've only seen the films once so there's a few films cool. on this list which i've seen twice not many, but like you, there's none which I've seen where I thought, well, no, let me rephrase that. There's none that I've seen where I went out and watched more than twice. There is, there is a couple where I would have liked to have seen more than that because I really they resonated with me enough. But time constraints and just, you know, I, I needed to get myself ready for Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. You know, that was the big one of the year. So I didn't want to, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to shoot my load too soon. But, you know, I think as a year in film, though, it was... Um, it was, I think it was a very good year. I think it's obviously been spiked by the Barbenheimer phenomenon halfway through the year. It's kind of a bit before that and after that. And we've had big superhero films. We've had great dramas. A24 been bringing it as usual. We've had a lot. We've had we've had some rom-coms coming out. You know, the, every genre has been mm-hmm. represented for better or worse. You know, is it the best film going year I've ever had? Possibly not. But that doesn't mean, like you said, I mean, there aren't a few gems in there we've had some major movies from big filmmakers this year too. Like a lot of big filmmakers dropped the, uh, their new movie, which is a b- uh, big deal. And then 
Um, I think to your point, you mentioned uh, we, we our goal is always to see as many movies of the year so that when we do list like this or when we pick our favorite of something that we have the most comprehensive list possible. We're not we don't yeah. have big gaps from the year. Like we're not sitting here going, oh, best movie, but I didn't see Killers of the Flower Moon or I didn't see Barbie. <laughs> like we yep. want to make sure we get all those. I have seen from released in 2023, I've seen over 200 movies this year. Um, I won't hit that in 2024. As I've mentioned on the podcast, I'm starting my, my uh, doctorate program. So I, I, my, my film viewing will be scaled back uh, to our episodes and then whatever I'm reviewing for the sites, I, I might catch some other stuff, but I'm, I'm not, I'm trying to convince myself. It's okay not to watch over 300 movies this year. Cause I was pretty much, <laughs> Seen. I've watched at least 300 movies and I have not missed that. Um, I've actually, the last two years, I've watched over 400 movies. It's not feasible this year. And it's hard to like, in my head, it's like, well, you have to. And I'm like, you don't, you really don't. Okay. Um, and uh, so, but I've seen a good, a good offering of what 2023 had to bring to the table. And it's still hard to narrow it down. If anything, it's even harder to narrow it down. Cause I'm like, there are movies it's that were really good at the time that I don't, it, they don't instantly click back in my my mind, and then I'm like, I've made my list, and I'm like, oh wait, what about what that? About movie? this one, like, I had that a few times. In. I think I've seen 170 this year, which is about That's 20 or 30 good. more than last year because I went top heavy at the beginning of the year. I'm like, nope, I'm going to watch a lot, so I kind of almost train myself to to carry that on for the rest of the year. And there are peaks and troughs. Life uh, gets in the way or finds a way to stop you watching mm-hmm. a film sometimes, and you then have to play catch up, but. So you've got 200, 200 plus. I've got 170 odd. That's not a bad showing for the year. I think we've covered as much as we can do. But like you said, the more you watch, the harder it is sometimes to narrow it down because, you know, the law of averages, you watch that many films, there's going to be a fair few which you do enjoy, let alone ones which maybe you find a bit more disappointing. Indeed. So... Folks, uh, strap in because this is one of our few uh, bloody awesome podcast episodes that we do a video and in person. Um, not in person. We're never in person. Uh, one day. On audio. Wow. Um, but uh, we're going to get through our categories. We're going to list our movies. And the way it works for the main categories is we're going to tell you two runner-ups and then our winner for that category. Matt and I do not know each other's winners. We might have overlap. We may not. Um, I'm sure there will be some overlap probably. Um and uh, again, some of these could change if we rewatch something or like maybe we miss. I, I don't feel like I've missed any major movies from 2023. Like I can't think of anything that's like in the war contention. I actively went and like I was looking for like what documentaries are listed, um, even though my documentary list is not going to match what's up of the Oscars nominee because I went very personal with my <laughs> picks for documentary this year. Yeah. Um, and um but i i've seen like all the big documentaries that are in con- con- uh, discussion i've seen all of the big international films um some that were not even eligible to be because the the country didn't vote it in um but i've seen yeah, most yeah. of those so like I-, I did my homework for uh the awards partly because of the critics association i mean i wanted to make sure i was voting i didn't want to throw away a vote there's nothing worse than like knowing like if i saw this documentary but no one else has seen this documentary yeah, why I know why mean, vote yeah. for it in that scenario but here this is just me this is just what i vote like, this is what I, I love about. that part of it these are like my personal preferences i'm not worried about like oh well this i don't want to be the white noise vote these mm-hmm. are like no this is a movie i think is worth mentioning on the podcast that maybe we didn't mention beforehand um and maybe people didn't see so uh with that uh matt what's our first category 
Well, we've been waiting since, funnily enough, January 2022 to do this all over again. We're back again, 2023. Sorry, we're back again in 2024. First category is, it's a good looking one, best cinematography. Now, John, don't keep us waiting anymore. What are your two runner-ups and your winner for best so, cinematography? Um, My uh, runner-up, number one. Well, runner up one or two. I don't runner up number two. I don't know how to, this part always confuses me, but um, is Eric Messerschmidt for the killer um, because uh, mm. David Fincher's um, film, all of his films, to be honest, look incredible, but I really like the cinematography and the killer. Um, there are some really cool shots, the lighting, uh, just that opening sequence when he's waiting for his first hit. Um, it's in a, this dark room and the way the lighting is. I just, I love so much of that stuff. Um, so it was easy. Uh, it's a film I wanted to rewatch and I meant to get to it a couple of times because I think, I don't think that movie's getting enough love. I, I really, really love the killer when I saw it and I am a big fan of David Fincher in general, but I really enjoyed the cinematography in that film. Um, number runner up number one, I'm going in reverse order here. So I guess like that was two, this is one, um, I guess is killers of the flower moon and Ludwig Goranson. Is that right? Nope. That's wrong. It's uh, Rodrigo uh, Pietro. Yep, I'm probably saying that incorrectly. Um, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon is, I mean, it's a Western, right? Like, So you're going to have this really great wide cinematography. The look of that film is incredible. Uh, just, I mean, we could get into like production design, but obviously we're talking yeah. cinematography here. But I just, I think um, it looks fantastic and it's hard to not uh, discuss. And Scorsese, uh, as a director, I tend to like the way his movies look. There's no different with Killers of the Flower Moon. But my my winner um, is uh, for Hoyt Van... Oh, I definitely typed this last name wrong. Hoytema? Hoyt uh, Oppenheimer? Hoyt um, Hoytema. I mean, one, Nolan's movies are always, for me, I am admittedly a Nolan fanboy. And uh, we, if you know anything about his movies, he has revolutionized IMAX cameras to make his films, and his cinematographer has to be the master of those things. So you're, you know, um, it's undeniable when you watch that film, when you the look of it. I mean, the the unique close-ups, like when we're looking at Cillian Murphy's face in just you know in this wide shot, but here is his center face. It, it just looks incredible all throughout the film I, I was so just always looking at the frame what's going on uh the, i don't know i don't believe they shot in black and white if i remember correctly i can't recall if that's right or wrong um i know it's in black and white i just can't remember if they were using black and white film stock especially the imax stuff because i don't know if that exists and if it doesn't exist yeah. beforehand it does now and that would be <laughs> a, another nolan thing so um, either way, I just think that movie is undeniably gorgeous, and the camera work in it is one of the highlights. Uh, as much as I, I have a lot of positives to say about Oppenheimer, um, but that's my pick for cinematography is uh, Hoyt. Hoyt for Oppenheimer. Well, uh, my three JB are so runner up yes, number two, or the first runner up is a bit of a uh, left field one, but it's a film I saw at Tribeca. Uh, it's a film called Smoking Tigers. Hei Jin Jun is the cinematographer. I just think the, the the craft and the vision that she employs to create and the composition to turn what would otherwise be a standard shot of somebody standing outside a building or uh, somebody walking through an old house or whatever. The, the, the composition of shot is done so well 
And it's so interestingly shot, whether it's reverse shots, whether it's flip shot, mirror shot, really, really impressive cinematography. And the reason it's in this list was because, frankly, I didn't expect it. I thought I was going to be watching a pretty good coming of age drama and I'm getting smacked in the face of all these fantastic shots throughout. Uh, So that's why it stayed with me. And if a film can do that, then it's always going to be on one of my lists. A hundred percent. Next runner up, John. You said it. Hoyt van Hoytema for Oppenheimer for all, oh, all the reasons you runner said. Up. Runner up. All the reasons you said. I mean, what, I mean, I'm sure if this film comes up again later, this phrase will be used again. But what can you say about Oppenheimer that nobody else has said? It's it's a marvel in so many ways, and it looks incredible. And what Nolan's done for for IMAX and for filmmaking cannot be understated. And Hoyt van Hoytema is a massive part of why Oppenheimer achieves the scale it does, but. It didn't win for me because somebody else came in and also revolutionized the way certain films are shot. And that guy is Rodrigo Prieto for Killers of the Flower Moon. I think this film ah. is d- d- delightful, such a delicious looking film. And, and I, I was looking up about it. And when the film came out, uh, I, they were saying, you know, back in the 1920s, you know, when the film is um, set, they, 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 these certain lenses of camera didn't exist so they wanted to make it feel period accurate so they had to so panavision put optics from the 1950s inside a lens just so it wouldn't look so modern and of course it's shot on film so you've got that delicious depth of field and color as well but i just think he captured the the huge scale of the project and you mentioned it's a landscape it's a western so you've got other very sweeping grandiose landscapes and cinematography i said it before i'll say it again it isn't just wow, that looks good, I can put it on the wall. It's, you know, what is it evoking? What is it telling you? And I think the cinematography really captures the emotion of what Scorsese himself and the rest of the gang are putting through. It's lit really well, and the camera placements and the framing throughout are just really good, whether it's kinetic or static. It tells a story, especially with the Osage culture, and that's what I wanted. And, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon, I gave my thoughts on that film and our review, but goddamn, if it isn't the best-looking film I've seen all year, John. Well, so it's it's fun that we flipped on that, uh, but yeah. yeah, both movies are on both of our list. Um, I di- I don't think I saw the one uh, from Tribeca, which is surprising on my part. I don't know what I missed. Uh, I'm don't I'm a little sad. Did now. Or not. Um, I'm, it, it it is definitely possible. Uh, there was a movie I don't even remember what it's called right now, but uh, we were at a screening and Sean was telling someone uh, this movie, blah blah blah. I'm like, I'm like, mm-hmm. and he's like, you saw it? I'm like, I did. And he's like, That's yeah, you saw it at Sundance. I'm like. <laughs> okay I, you've seen sure and i looked films. at my letterbox i'm like oh yeah it, <laughs> yeah it was it was early in the year it wasn't a favorite so i mean no offense to it it wasn't a bad movie it just was you know way past uh it was it didn't do enough to to stay fresh um so this is possible our next category is uh best score uh this is obviously um something for me i always struggle with like isolating the score because it's it, a lot of times for me the experience is watching it is holistic um the score is bringing you into the film it's a part of the scene and i don't always notice it uh so i always have to really like make an effort if the music is working for me to like oh wait acknowledge it pay attention to it um and uh so matt tell us what's your runner-ups and then the winner for best score for you so in the podium position the first one is howard shaw's score for the pale blue eye which is a netflix film starring christian bale and um harry melling uh, a lot a lot of people said it was not great i quite enjoyed it it wasn't it, it didn't crack my top 
50. Actually, to be fair, it may have done of the year. I thought it was a pretty solid kind of uh, period who done it mystery piece, but the score was so well done. Again, it was it's it's, it's of its time. It really captured or evoked what the the spirit of that time. It's about Edgar Allan Poe, and also it's got I, I can't explain it, but the murder mystery who done it kind of flares to it. I'm thinking kind of what Nathan Johnson did for the Knives Out films. It's not quite as flamboyant as that, but they're in there. It's got some genre flicks to it. So Howard Shaw for The Pale Blue Eye is my first runner-up. Next up, you've already mentioned him, mistakenly, but I'm going to say it for you, is Ludwig Joransson for Oppenheimer. Man. Well, Ludwig, obviously, uh, Oscar winner for Black Panther, and he has revolutionised the sound of Star Wars with The Mandalorian and that. So, And his work with Donald Glover is, you know, really singled him out to be one of the leading lights in modern music. But then he given, but then having Nolan work with him as well. I know he did work with him on Tenet, but here on Oppenheimer, he, like that film, everything's just stepped up a notch, and the score is incredible. I love how Ludwig can utilize so many different instruments and styles and genres in one sit, one, one sitting, but still make it feel connected. And Oppenheimer, when it needs to be big, it goes big and it goes emotional. And I really, really, really happy to hear that from Ludwig. It didn't make number one though, because a more recent one is my best score of the year john purely for the emotion of it it was joe hisaishi for the boy and the heron i mentioned on our review the the music in this is stunning i love joe hisaishi anyway he's worked on every hayo miyazaki film since 84 it's you got spielberg williams nolan zimmer hitchcock herman hisaishi miyazaki and it, the music he said it himself i read an interview with him where he said the music you know he he enjoyed the film because he didn't run a search for meaning he just felt the film that's how he wrote the music he just had a feeling when he watched it and that's where the music came from and hisaishi is a world-class pianist anyway and the the score is piano led there's there's big string sections throughout there's electronics and percussion as well but it really captures the emotion without ever taking over some of his other scores which i love are quite like spirited away big sweeping scores at times like this one kind of steps back a bit more and lets Miyazaki's like, very personal story take the forefront and this is just there holding its hand guiding it but listening to some of the uh tunes at the cinema whilst whilst uh was watching it but also uh, recently on Spotify man I just get sucked back into the world again and I think it's such an emotive uh emotive and evocative score very minimalist but people may say recency bias as well but no this i love this score and it's if it's the final one he does or for miyazaki then it ain't a bad one to go out on so my my best score of the year is the boy in the heron by joe hisaishi john what what say you so my runner-up first runner-up uh is I'm going back to the David Fincher well, with, uh, and he went back to his well, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor and The Killer. Um, I've been a big fan of their scores. Uh, to be fair, they're, because of Trent Reznor, I, I, um, if you don't know this about me, I was a rock musician for a long time. So like the, the Trent Reznor of it all, when he became a score guy, I was very aware of it because it was like, what? Um, like he's, he's the nine inch nails guy. Why is he doing movie scores? And then the social network won me over. Um, and so I'm always kind of a sucker for their scores. They do a lot more than I even realize, like, cause they don't just work with Fincher, but that's when their yeah. scores feel familiar to me is when they're with Fincher. And that was, uh, the case with the killer. Uh, my Oscar number winners two, as well. Oscar winners as well. I think for the social network, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
uh, I also have, I kind of already ruined it, I guess, but I have for number two or runner up, whatever is Oppenheimer, Ludwig, uh, Goretzen, um, uh, that that score uh i i like nolan scores in general though like i, I love like again most of them beforehand were zimmer but uh here i was just like yes uh th- that nolan score really hits and it, there's just key moments where it drops out and there are key moments where it really brings the emotion that you're looking for um and so that we have in common and in fact for the score our winner is the same as well i also have joe uh I'm going to mess up his name, Hishashi, uh, for Boy and the Heron. Um, no, why? I also don't think it's recently biased. It was one of the rare times when I'm watching a movie where I was aware of the score, but not in a bad way. It wasn't pushing me out of the movie. I was just aware of how it was affecting my uh, being sucked into the world of the film. Um, that's a movie that I, I really want to rewatch, and it, it's not playing locally anywhere near me, and I'm really disappointed. I can't wait to own that one to add it to my How with Miyazaki collection. Because I do want to rewatch it. I think all of his movies benefit rewatches. Howl's Moving Castle, to me, is one of the best examples of it. The first time I saw it, I liked it. I have grown to love that film so much yeah. with rewatches. And Spirited Away is the same, although I've taught Spirited Away several times, so I'm like intricately aware of that film. But Boy in the Heron, I think, is worthy of it. And I've listened to several podcasts about it, and it, it only made me appreciate the film more. And that that score, though, I think was a big part of my enjoyment of the film to get uh, from the from the get go. So, I when we were making these lists, that was a immediate. I'm like, well, that was the one time this year where I was super aware of a score while watching Man. a movie, and that and not in a bad way because there have been some movies where the score, I, the one I always go to is It Follows. I was so aware of that score. People love that score. But for me, it took. It was just like you, it's so in my head. Like, please pull the score back a little bit. Um, I felt that was like took me out of the movie. Where this did the opposite. It brought me into the world of the film, which is so important because that's what the film is all about. A surprise, to be sure, but a welcome one. Gen- genuinely didn't expect that. Because I, I remember you saying on the episode that you 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 liked the score. I remember you saying you really liked the score. Man, I didn't think How it'd often be do I ever mention that. Yeah, I rarely yeah. mention the score in, in, a, in a review. So, like, the fact that I brought it up immediately says, like, oh, that's got to be the, that at the end of the year. should have been a giveaway. And for you to say that it was one of the first ones on the team sheet, that's that's a big deal. So, uh, yeah, the boy and the heron takes it for both of us. Joe Hisaishi, best score for the both of us. So now let's move on to our next category, which needs a bit of definition. It's called Most Feel Bad. So these are uh, the films which... They're not well. They may be, but we're not classing them as the worst films or bad films to come out of this year. They are films of which we saw, we experienced, and we felt a heaviness weighing down on us. We felt our soul feel sad or or, or maybe a negative emotion towards it, but not because the film itself was bad. So it's film it's films which elicited a negative emotion from us, and it's always an interesting yeah. one to go in with, isn't it, JB? And all three of these movies for me, I liked, um, but they, they made me feel awful in some way, shape or form. And that's why they're on my list. Um, so my first runner up is, uh, Ari Aster's third film, Bo is Afraid, um, a movie that is designed to make you feel bad. I I think it it is, it is pushing to win. It's almost like he heard Bampy's last year. and was like, Oh, I got you. Um, and while he's not my winner, uh, I mean, Bo is Afraid is designed, literally designed to make you feel anxious and, and worried and concerned and, and like you want to rip your own skin off kind of feeling. And uh, it succeeded. Again, 
I liked that movie. A lot of people didn't like it. I, I thought all of it was weird and quirky, but in, in enjoyable ways. But again, in like unpleasant ways where you don't feel good while you're watching it or at the end. Um, you're probably not going to be satisfied with the conclusion, even not to say there isn't one. But it's going to make you feel bad. And so easy to put on this list. Plus, I wanted to mention it because that movie definitely got slept on. I think compared to Hereditary and Midsummer, Bo is Afraid did not get the 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 horror crowd to back it like it did with those True. other two. So, um, I wanted to mention it. I think it's a good movie. I think Astor's Three for Three. I uh, just I don't think he's making movies for for audiences. I think he's making movies that deal with his personal problems, and um, you know, he's working <laughs> through some demons apparently. Uh, just specifically with Bo is Afraid. Um, my number two or runner up. Uh, to, I still don't know how to say this, uh, is a movie we've mentioned already a couple of times, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, not, again, excellent movie. think it's brilliant, but man, did it make me, multiple times in the movie, it made me upset uh, to realize it was based on a true story, uh, was devastating. Uh, to, to be 41 years old when I see this movie and go, I've never heard of these Native American, these uh, indigenous people, and they're... they're I mean, I don't even know how to say it without it being spoilers. So, but I, the fact that I grew up in an American education system as a teacher and had never encountered this story beforehand made me feel bad like that. It made me feel, uh, you know, my part in the, in the burden of it, that I'm, I'm not knowing the story is, is disowning American history and the horrible parts of it. And, uh, you know, it reminded me very much of HBO's uh, The Watchmen series a few years ago when I learned about Black Tulsa for the first time and had never heard that story until a comic book TV series introduced me to it. Um, this was the same thing. Like, it took a Martin Scorsese film to make me aware of something that I should have known. So in, impossible not to feel bad uh, in that way. But again, not saying it's a bad movie, folks. Just making sure that the definition here is very, very clear. These made me feel emotionally bad. And then... The movie that twice destroyed me because <laughs> uh, I there's no way these scenes should exist, but they do. Is when evil lurks. Um, Damn, when evil lurks is a horror film. Uh, it's on Shutter. Uh, I forget the director's name, but he uh, he's also did uh, Frighteners, which I watched um, for something on Shutter during uh, Halloween. Damien we had that. It was on the the bracket, I think. Um, his Terrified. other movie. Um, terrified that's what it's called um this movie i won't say what the scenes are but there was a scene where i'm like there's no way they're going to show that and then they showed it and i was just like oh my god and then after i was acknowledging how horrible that they they filmed this and they put this to <laughs> film i found the marketing materials which made it all the worse because i was like they use that as a marketing image so um it's a movie that I, I think is really good. I think it's a really well-made horror film. It, it's troubling, um, but it also, wow, did it did it succeed at making me feel terrible. Like, that movie ended, and you just are like, well, humans are awful. We we are terrible, and I hate us. And, yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't think I felt worse at, at the end of a movie than that one. So it was easy to put that as the winner of most feel bad. Yeah, damn. I, I, I you, feel Matt? that, my friend. Mine are, well, oh. For, for 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 the feel bad category, uh, I don't want to feel bad for too much longer, so I'll get right into it. First runner up, JB, The Iron Claw was my first feel bad movie, and it's more feel bad because it's based on true events. And if you're not aware of it, I won't give those away. But I saw this recently, and you know, the final moments with 
Zac Efron's Kevin Von Erich and his words about brotherhood are so sad and so tragic. Mm-hmm. Great film, though. Great film. Like you, JB, uh, the three films on my list, I think are great films, but you know, not, even the best of them can can affect you in a in a way that makes you just feel heavy. And The Iron Claw was one of them. Great film, though. Um, second one, JB, Birth slash Rebirth was the second film. Yeah, second runner up. Heck and yeah. it's uh, yeah, I remember you seeing this one. I think you this one you saw first, and you mentioned it. I think you saw this first at the festival, um, a festival, and recommended it. And it's kind of very loosely based on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And uh, the director, it's, it's Laura Moss as a director. It's her first feature and it, it posits the duality of life and creation with motherhood in such a way that hasn't been done before. Because had it had it done, I don't think it would have been as effective as this is a real chilling and complex, dramatic horror film. But the final shot is one for the ages as well. It's It's a tough, tough watch. But the film that made me um, feel most bad, John. Yes. It's Damien Ruggner's When Evil Lurks. Dude, back to back. That's wild. Back to back, man. It's just a heavy, hopeless film. It's cruel, shocking, unrelenting, but it's also bloody good and bloody effective, which is what it sets out to do. And Terrified was good, Ruggner's uh, previous film. Yeah. That one's this more fun. <laughs> that that is more fun, yeah, it, even though it's 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 still scary. The like, terrified is still it is, effective. and there's some troubling stuff in that movie. Yeah, yeah. And then they then he looked at that and thought, yeah. You say Ariaster heard Bambi's last year. I think Regner was like, yeah, I hold my beer and everything else because some of the imagery throughout is nightmare inducing or genuinely upsetting. But the movie never felt like it was just trying to shock you. It never felt like it was just a series of yeah. vignettes which I really appreciated. But so how I think the, I think, sorry, the movie's great, but don't expect to have a spring in your step when you finish. John watched this film and he sent me a text saying, before you watch it, there's a scene in it, which I don't think you're going to get through essentially. And I know as soon as it, as soon yeah. as it's coming, I thought you are kidding me like you. It's like, then they, they won't. And then, and then they did multiple times and yeah, really heavy stuff, but it isn't there just to, purposely shock you or go over its way to feel gimmicky it, it, it's all in service of the story and yeah the way it ends i'm like man i give up i give up <laughs> give, give, give me something with sparkles because this is too heavy yeah yeah you're like i almost i think i watched an animated movie as soon as it ended i was like i need something <laughs> really light um it, it did not leave you feeling good uh that is for no. sure um no. but our next category hopefully did that's our most feel good movies so again these aren't necessarily the best movies but these are the movies that they it felt like you had a uh, bubble tea or something at, and you're just mm. like ah i feel light and fresh and ready to, <laughs> to you know go outside and, and fly and that's what we're hoping for here so these are our most feel good movies matt tell me what's your runner up runner up number one is teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem finally john a good turtles movie for me and one that captured the spirit of the teenage mutant ninja turtles um i love the animation i love the needle drops and i love the voice acting plus my kid enjoyed it too i saw this film twice i went to see it once for um the the podcast bloody awesome movie podcast and then i took my kid to see it she's seven and she and she's not she knows what turtles are but she never really watched them i'm sitting here with a mug and i've got all the original figures and toys over there (laughs) So um, for her, this is all new. 
but she she had a great time. She found it funny. I did as well. I laughed so many times during it. It didn't feel like it was just looking at across the Spider Verse or into the Spider Verse and stealing its homework. It felt like you know it was not tipping its cap to it and doing its own thing. I felt good at the end of Mutant Mayhem, John. Uh, my next uh, runner-up is Rye Lane, which I thought was a, a oh, super charming urban British rom-com that was as predictable as they come. But when the formula works, like, you, you'll know better than anyone as a rom-com fan. When the formula works, it, yeah. it works, and it really did here for me. I think David Johnson and Vivian Oprah's chemistry was excellent, and I was rooting for them the whole time. And it's one hour, 22 minutes long. We, excellent. Very short, very funny comedy, which... Uh, worked for me made me feel good by the very end i was cheering and smiling um, internally because i'm british so uh my number one feel good film of the year my counter to when evil lurks john is barbie greta gerwig's barbie for me i'm like how could it not be barbie's full of life color sparkle pizzazz and all the other superlatives that sound similar and yeah it's got its existential narrative but it's full of great timely and necessary messages for for now the songs are upbeat, that's catchy. The production design is eye-catching. It's fun. The performances are all in. It, it, it's a disco of a movie, and it's almost impossible to not get swept up in the the fun that is Greta Gerwig's Barbie. So yeah, Barbie. I came out just feeling happy, man. I'm you know I I, I was Ken Uff when I came out of it. I had plenty of energy coming out of Barbie, man. So yes, Barbie is my most feel-good film of the year. But John, what made like you it. feel good this year? So my runner-up one is uh, is I, I think I've done more for the director's career than uh, Glenn Hansing, um, and that is John Carney's Flora and Son. I have taught <laughs> once, and I've taught Sing Street, and I have I have yelled from the mountaintop of how great his his movies are at capturing the musician in them. And while Flora and Son I think is flawed in a lot of ways. I, I could not help but fall for his formulas. I, I am a sucker for his style of filmmaking. I, even though I don't think these songs are nearly as memorable as what he did in Sing Street or what he did in Once, which mm-hmm. I mean, Once is, for me, the music of Once is a masterpiece. Sing Street feels like a great medley of 80s music. Um, the Floor and Sun, uh, there's some music I don't like. But the songs that do work, work really well. And a lot of people really hated JGL in that film, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I, I'm a I'm a JGL guy, man. I just like him. I there's How can you? Honey? There's a sincerity. Like, well, you know, I think some people see him like like as a tryhard. Um, but I just I feel like he makes what he likes. And I think he loves movies and acting. And I just appreciate that as a fan of those things, too. And I liked him in this. I, I love the, uh, the the sequence where they sing the duet and he is on the computer. They're zooming. But Carney decides to bring them into the same space uh, virtually like because that's how they feel, even though that's not the reality. It's like when Matt and I record, we're in the same space, even though we're you know an ocean apart. And John's uh, right in front of my face. And. and it made me feel good. And that's what Carney's films collectively have always done for me is even they don't always end how you want them to end, but they always end on an upbeat kind of hopeful vibe for me. And uh, the movies make me feel good. And this movie succeeded. It's why I like it. It, it more so than what's there. It's the feeling that it brought out in me that I really loved. Um, my next runner up is a animated film from Netflix. Nimona. Um, 
Nimona stars Chloe Grace Moretz and Riz Ahmed, two people that I, I t especially Riz Ahmed, he's become one of my favorite actors. He is the main reason why I was drawn to Nimona when I saw his name was on it. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm in. Uh, I like the animation style. The story is incredible. It's it's so positive. There's so much hopefulness. It's funny. It's uh, kinetic. I mean, it moves. And then, as if I wasn't already won over, I cried multiple times, but like positive, like excited, like I'm so happy, I'm so hopeful tears. But the movie ends, and I hear a song come on that I've never heard, but I'm like, that sounds yep. like my favorite artist, K-Flay. And I'm like, is that K-Flay? And sure enough, K-Flay does the, the credit song, uh, and it's uh, it's possible, it's unlikely, because it's a big pool, but it's eligible for an Oscar for Best Original Song. And I'm like, how <laughs> cool would it be? Maybe people finally would know the genius that is K-Flay. And um, that just cemented it, because like I was already feeling good, and then I got a new song from my favorite artist Win. as a surprise, and I was like, this is incredible. Um, and it was a total win. So I, I walked away from that film uh, wanting everyone to see it. I got to see it oh, like a week early because uh, I reviewed it and was just so, so hyped uh, to tell people about it. And I bought the graphic novel because I enjoyed it. I <laughs> read all the graphic novel. Um, it's different. Uh, so it, it's not it's not pulling me in the same way. But I think the voice performances are incredible. The animation style is yeah. really cool. And it just made me feel real good. And my winner, though. The most feel-good movie for me was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem um, because I grew up obsessed with the Ninja Turtles. And not only uh, myself, but one of my best friends, editor of Burke Reviews, David, uh, is also nice. a big Turtle fan. And we got to see this together, and we were fanboying like crazy sitting next to each other at the, the critic screening we were both so hyped and when we walked yeah. out we were just like they nailed it they've they've not only is it something new it doesn't just feel like a rehash of the thing we had but it feels like a logical evolution the way they choose to tell the story it's so much fun and for all of the comic book movies that have attempted to have too many villains this one does there are too many villains and they make it work and it shouldn't but it does and there's so many moments where you just can't help but you're laughing you're you're having a great time with it uh jackie chan is splinter i mean like you can't go wrong with this movie and it was again it kind of came out of nowhere like we knew it was coming we knew it was a big cast obviously huge like so many big names in this film but having four teenagers voice the turtles was an act of genius because their chemistry and the joy they bring to the characters just came off the screen i i walked out like i'd been covered <laughs> in ooze and was a mutant myself and i have not forgotten that film i i've i have the steelbook sitting in my amazon shopping cart and i'm just like i don't need to spend 35 dollars, but i really really want yes, this steelbook um so uh yeah most feel good movie man if you guys slept on teenage mutant turtles mutant mayhem uh for whatever reason it's on paramount plus i think right now watch it it's so good and you will feel good while you watch especially if you were a fan as a kid yes and of which we are again uh the mug right here um i'm yep. feeling 80s day ghostbusters jumper turtles mark and right here is a raphael yeah. slash michelangelo mask you can choose oh, which one you want um from uh, unfortunately it's from the it came with one of the Michael Bay Blu-rays, but you know, um, Michael Bay produced. You can squint. All right, you can squint and say it's so one of the old going... ones. I've got the last Ronan down there as well. So, as a kid, I used to have the ones that had the little plastic nose, and it came with the yes. the, the stuff. I had. I remember like, at least two or three of them. Um, I remember those, right. my friend. We're um, going from most feel good to what? Uh, what are we doing, Matt? We are going now to most disappointing so on the bamp here 
listen, we'll, we'll critique a film until the cows go home. We'll say if a film is terrible, if that's what we believe. But we're not here to spread negativity or necessarily say, you know, we, we don't want to sit here and celebrate the worst of things, per se. So instead, we present most disappointing, the three films that we were most disappointed by. Maybe we had high hopes for them. Maybe it's a director we love. Maybe uh, the we, we were sucked in by the trailer. Maybe we've been waiting to see this for years and it just didn't hit like we thought it was going to hit. Uh, so, John, I must know. I don't like seeing you disappointed, but I do want to know, what are the three most disappointing films of the year for you? So, this list is is real disappointing because I think all of all three of these movies I had reason to have high expectations for. Uh, you're like, Hey, what if we give you space travel, dinosaurs, and Adam Driver? And you're like, oh, give it to me. I'm all in. Like, yep. Let's see it. And then uh, you get there, and it's a movie called 65. And you're like, what garbage? What what have you done? How can you yep. make this bad? You have dinosaurs. And it's like, you know what this scene needs? Bug in mouth. It's like, why? Why is there yeah. a bug in mouth? There are dinosaurs. Like... So such a missed opportunity for such a, an easy premise, and and I will say I don't think Adam Driver's bad in it. I just think the movie is so bad that it, it can't he can't save it. And it's uh, some of it is visuals. The the visual effects are not good in the movie. And man, dinosaurs like and the the things <laughs> that it tries to do that are quote unquote clever are not clever. And it just it just left me feeling really really disappointed. Like I wasted a lot of time. Um, my second runner up you're like hey new robert rodriguez movie with ben affleck and you're uh, like uh give it to me please like what is it and you're like it's called hypnotic and like ooh, that sounds interesting it's not yeah it's not interesting it, it is it is one of the worst things i saw this year and Damn. i am i really i i want to always back robert rodriguez because i think he does some really cool stuff but man this one really missed the mark and it, i was it was a mystery movie too when I saw it and I was like, can I have my free ticket back? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know, I feel like I wasted two hours. Um, and I, again, I, I don't even remember who the, the, there were some other people in it. I don't remember at this point because it is, it's been blocked from my brain. Um, man, that movie's bad. Uh, the biggest one though, and this one, I actually, I think uh, there's a lot of, a lot of people share my feelings on this one is I, I actually am not gonna remember the director's name, but, good director john david washington you know sci-fi futuristic war movie with robots the creator um oh gareth edwards gareth edwards and you're like oh yeah rogue one like this will be fantastic and it's 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 not um it's not now to be fair it's not like 65 and hypnotic where i think they're bad movies i don't think the creator is bad but it's the one where i think it had the most potential to be a masterpiece or to be this this experience of cinema that you can't forget and it, it does not live up to that for me um it does have some really cool visuals i think the story misses a lot i think there's some beats where you're just like what is happening why is this even a thing this doesn't make any sense why does that why are there suicide bomber robots like it, it's weird <laughs> stuff like that throughout the film that you're just kind of left pondering scratching your head um as to what the world is trying to do uh there's a lot of blade runner in it and it's just it just did not amount to what it was trying to do so my i was i think like 65 was early in the year so you kind of like well it's a february movie that's probably not a good sign uh R R hypnotic got dumped like real yeah. auspiciously and i think it had like a weird festival thing so there was already weird buzz about it. so i went in a little apprehensive but still hopeful because it's like well it's got a pedigree behind it 
the creator, I think there was so much hype, and when it was dropping, and it was like this, ah, it's this prestige blockbuster type time slot, and it just it missed the mark for me real hard. Matt, uh, what disappointed you this year, my friend? My friends, I'm going to kick off straight away and say my number three in terms of disappointment. My first runner-up is 65. <laughs> 65, man. Being able to make Adam Driver fighting dinosaurs so mind-numbingly dull meant this film had to be on the list. And you said it. It came out in February, and it still haunts me now. Almost a year later, I'm like, God damn, that was awful it's disappointing it's forgettable it's boring it's a boring film and that's the worst part of it and it's it's nonsensical not in the time element of it in the actual why adam driver's character does some of the things he does or tells um ariana greenplatt's character the things he does it's like what are you doing why, why and why and why are you the way you are i don't none of it makes sense yeah like i say bugs there's dinosaurs you said what, what do we do with adam driver fighting dinosaurs well we just won't put many dinosaurs in because we haven't got a budget a very very disappointing film uh the second most disappointing film for me uh, second runner-up is the creator all the reasons you said john i thought this film was going to be my number one of the year just from the trailers because they did their job they looked insane um and it, it, it had it felt like a lot of unused concepts of rogue one a lot of the visuals and a lot of the uh the concepts and i was like yeah, this looks incredible and i will say for the budget it does look better than a lot of films that came out this year it yeah. looks stunning but man was it disappointing for the reasons you mentioned like the narratively it's just it misses the beat so hard it tries to be something and it just can't and then in those third, final acts it just becomes a totally different film it it, it loses away it loses its steam completely and for what I thought was going to be, like you say, like this existential masterpiece or humanitarian masterpiece. It isn't, and it's a shame. It's it's not my worst film of the year, but it was a huge disappointment. But my most disappointing film of the year, though, JB, is it's a film called Master Gardener, and it's directed by Paul Schrader. Now, Paul Schrader recently released his top 10 best films of 2023, and Master Gardener was on it. So Paul Schrader is nothing if not modest. And he's <laughs> I love Paul Schrader because he always says what he feels. But for me, he's been on fire in recent years. First Reform was my top yeah. movie from that year it came out. The Card Counter was in my top three, I think, of the year it came out. So I was very excited for this in this unofficial trilogy he's got going on. Joel Edgerton, Sigourney Weaver, Slam Dunk had to be just... No, it just didn't work for me. It's not as incisive or cutting as those other two and i don't really mean to compare it to those two but this is by all intents again an unofficial trilogy of films based on the three leading characters and their struggles and what they're dealing with they're connect connected in that sense but the the, the two leads editor and weaver are good in the film but the writing isn't great you know it, it doesn't help them out the bond wasn't as believable as the other character pairings and it just drags it's a bit more subdued it's a decent film it's a decent film, but given what yeah. I'd expected and what came before, I'd hoped that this would be top five of the year for me. I expected it to be because Schrader for me has become a very, very, very good director and he delivers films that I like, you know, those kind of deep psychs, um, phys- uh, psychological studies with great performers and great actors. We get that here, but just didn't work for me, JB. So whilst, you know, I could look at the creator and think, you know, I, maybe I had higher hopes because of what I'd seen in the trailers. I thought Master Gardener would be a, a, a lock for my top 10, if not top five. But sadly, it wasn't JB. So my most disappointing film of the year is Paul Trader's Master Gardener.
And from that, we go to uh, movies that we wanted to watch but just didn't get to. These are our 2023 viewing regrets. These, again, movies we actually haven't seen that came out in 2023, which you, you would have to think, like, for most people, if you saw 200 movies from the year, there's no way you missed anything. <laughs> but yes, even yes. then, we still missed some things. I mean, I think Matt's had two that I haven't seen. Um, I did see Constant Gardener. I wasn't disappointed. I just didn't. I, my expectations <laughs> were a little lower. I do like yeah. First Reformed and Constant Gardener, but nowhere near as much as you. But uh, I did. I, I actually think I need to rewatch First Reformed. But I think I like Constant Gardener. A, not Constant Gardener. I'm sorry. The, game, the, the card counter. That's a yeah. yeah. I think I like that one a little more because uh, I think on the surface it's more my my cup of tea right away. <laughs> and also, I Oscar Isaac just always seems to work for me. Edgerton is up and down with me. But let's talk viewing regret, Matt. What are the uh, three movies that you regret not seeing from 2023? Well, the three films I regret not seeing are solely because I live on an island called the United Kingdom. Now wow. they had releases in the uk uh whether it's london film festival or a or a very very small cinematic window before it's getting a wider release so the first film which i uh regret not being able to see is the zone of interest uh jonathan glazer mm. he's he's mental i'm sure so i'm always wildly intrigued when it releases a feature and what i know of it in terms of the little i know of the story i i, I need to see it because he, again he's hit or miss he does not work for everyone but there's something about because yeah. he's such he's so out there and he's such a risk taker or he, you know he's so i think self-confident and he releases films once every half a decade if not longer it's always almost like an event when he releases a film so i'm really annoyed i couldn't get to see the zone of interest the next one is the holdovers the christmas film which is releasing in February, I believe, in the United Kingdom, or at least in a couple of weeks' time, which is what wild. Is happening? I've heard nothing but <laughs> yeah. good things, mainly from this guy, John Burke, and a lot of other people as well for the performance in this film. I've heard that they are across the board excellent. And it's and I've just heard it's a very good film. It did get a I think it was a festival release or and I, I didn't get decided to see it. All of these had some kind of min- minimal release, limited release in the UK. But the big one, which I didn't get to see, JB, because uh it just isn't out here yet i know they had a screening recently i couldn't make poor things i really really wanted to catch that the release slate for that is so weird even here in the states it's like i saw it almost two months ago and it still is in wide release right now so it's It's, it's wild it's wild and you look we we know it's gunning for oscars i know i've heard of the buzz about it and it's yorgos lanthimos so I expect something memorable. Like Jonathan Glazer, I expect something memorable for better or worse. I wasn't a big fan of the favourite, but I've loved everything else he's done. And I know, I know. But the buzz surrounding Emma Stone means I'm just regretful of not being able to see this in 2023. I'll see it in a week or maybe two weeks' time, and maybe I'll watch it and think, okay, you would have probably won this Bampy, you probably would have won that one. But I haven't seen it, so it's a regret of mine. But poor things, it's a film I wish I caught, but I hadn't. Matt has a good reason to not have seen his availability. Mine are, I, I mostly could have watched, but I chose not to for one reason or another, starting with Fingernails. Um, it's a director I'm not familiar with, Christos Nico, but the cast, man, Jesse Buckley, who has been like immediate yeah. for me. Every time she's in something, I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. Then you put Riz Ahmed is in this movie, and I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't know he was in this. And then Jeremy Allen White, who's had a huge year, right? Um, and uh, Luke Wilson, who I like Luke Wilson. I tend to be on board with him. Um, I just heard it was kind of dull, and it's like I think it's an Apple TV original film. Um, and I, I, I 
didn't want to be disappointed and I was trying I was cramming when I heard about this movie I was cramming all the other stuff in for the award season and I was like this one's getting so much negative feedback I don't want to jump into to it because I'm again I didn't want to waste a potential vote movie you know I could have watched yeah, yeah. you know a zone of interest which everyone's talking about where no one's really talking about fingernails this is a film I, I think I'm going to end up coming to because I I, I want to be a Riz Ahmed completionist I really oh, I've, I've seen a lot of his stuff and yeah, and I, I do I've, everything I've seen with Jesse Buckley. I'm just like Buckley's yeah. a win. Um, and similar with this one, uh, I a lot of negativity around um, a good person. I am one of those people, and I don't, I don't, I'm not proud of it, but I like Zach Braff's movies. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I'm a fan of most of his stuff. I, I even I I willingly accept that there are some things that are like the. Uh, um, the movie with Natalie Portman when she's a manic pixie dream girl that I can't think of what it's called right now. I like that movie. I totally understand that that character is written badly. Um, but and then he did one with uh, Kate Hudson as with in Josh Gad. I can't remember the title of it. Something like it's as good as something good. Some I don't know. I like that one. I like the movie he did where he's not the lead in it, but with uh, Joey King and Michael Caine and like there's the old men are like robbing a bank or something like. I enjoyed that movie. And this has Florence Pugh and Morgan Freeman. And I'm like, how yeah. can this be bad? But I've mostly heard bad things and it didn't come near me. Um, it's on Prime right now and I've almost watched it like three times, but I'm just like, well, I really should watch this instead. I should watch this instead. But I, I mean, I'm such a Florence Pugh fan. Like I just can't yeah. imagine not at least finding some joy in this. So I'm, I regret not giving a chance. Maybe I could have been one of the voices of positivity towards the film when everyone else seemed to really, really hate it. Um, and then the last one, Everyone has, that I've heard talk about this particular film is raving about it, but it's called Passages. Um, it is uh, Ben Wishaw, and it is directed by Ira Sachs. Um, ben Wishaw, Franz Rogowski. Uh, it, it sounds amazing. It did not come theatrically near me, but I believe it's on Mubi, M-U-B-I, for those who don't know Mubi. Uh, and I've, I have access to that. It's just, it was, it didn't feel like it was, substantial enough to watch and also i my understanding is it's, it's very graphic at times and so where sometimes when i was watching movies a graphic movie would not have played appropriately in that scenario so i was like well i can't watch that right now and then it just kept getting pushed to the back burner pushed to the back burner and it's one i really wish i'd taken the time to see because again everything i've heard about it has been really positive and i i definitely want to check it out plan to at some point to see passages I have heard of that one because obviously Ben Wyshaw, very, very talented British actor. So it got a little bit of attention here. I haven't seen it either, Jay. I haven't actually seen any of the three that you mentioned. So uh, I, I, I stand in regret with you, John Burke, on that <laughs> one. But, but man, that, that, but, um, that first film, what a cast, fingernails. Uh, but they are the films we regret. Maybe we'll watch them sometime during the year and maybe we'll regret actually watching them. But <laughs> fingers crossed that we don't but the next category jb is we've gone from regret now let's go to most surprising what was the film that surprised us most in 2023 for any reason whatsoever jb what's what's your three films and that's the thing i love this category to get to talk about movies that may not talk about elsewhere um like maybe these aren't going to be in my my top five or something like that but uh i went into them with maybe low expectations and they won mm -hmm. me over uh, the first runner-up is Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves, Ooh, um, because I did not expect it to be good, right? Like, I mean, yeah, it has a cast, and you're like, maybe, but like, they've tried to do a D and D movie a few times, and it almost always doesn't it's work. Dank, and yeah. this one, 
found the the i mean from that opening sequence where where chris pine is trying to talk his way out of getting in trouble in court and the he's bird. like going through like how they keep interrupting and then the bird <laughs> he's like well maybe we should wait for so it's i was on board from minute one uh there's a bradley cooper cameo that is phenomenally funny hugh yeah. grant is deliciously in his villain phase he's of great. his career and he is owning it uh, i mean there's so much good and I, I, I love Chris Pine, and I don't think he gets enough uh, love, really. Like, I, I think when we see something, we often are like, oh, yeah, but I think he gets kind of pushed aside as maybe, like, the third or fourth Chris, and maybe mm -hmm. he should be number one. Um, this movie, again, just, I, I so pleasantly surprised. I would love to say, like, I'm a big D&D &D head. I'm not. I, I, I love the idea of D&D. &D. I've only played it a couple times. I'm currently playing Baldur's Gate 3, so I'm even more on a D&D, &D, like, high right now. But this film, I just think, is like, boom. It hits so much. And I know enough about the lore that I thought it pays a lot of homage to, to that, but it's it's set on telling a really good story in a world that's D&D-esque. And that's what I think made it work, is, like, you have characters, you have you get their motivations, you understand what they're trying to do, and then they're also they're, they're not afraid to have fun with it and the, i think that yeah. so many people are just having a blast with the film so dungeons and dragons really surprised me um i've already mentioned this movie once before but i i would be uh, i did not i lied sorry my brain is all over the place um i have taught the film searching pretty much since it came out on dvd i love that film and i taught it last year uh, just before like i think it was december or early january last year late december like 2022 or early january 2023 i'm teaching the film searching the class was blown away they always are because it's like it sucks you in you're like oh why yeah. it's weird that we're on a computer screen Very and then the mystery film. unfolds and you're just like what and then suddenly i'm at a i'm at a movie at, at my local theater and there's a trailer for this movie called missing i'm like wait a minute it's from the people from searching i had no idea there was a spiritual sequel coming out to a movie that i just taught so i was super excited i went back to class I'm like hey guys there's a new movie coming out and uh I was sure because it's not the same director. It's from the same people, right? Like, so some of the people involved with searching, but it's not the same director. Are they going to be able to repeat the magic? And I think they do. I think they really do. And I think there's some elements missing that are better than searching. They, they uh, do a good job of upending you. If you have expectations because you've seen searching, they, they twist it. It is in the same universe yeah. as searching. That is an actual plot point, but it's not a direct sequel. None of the characters are the same. Um, it even it, it it has some interesting commentary, and I think I'm gonna forget the actress's name, Storm Storm Reed. Storm Reed. Um, it's so good. She's been in some movies that have not landed, like A Wrinkle in Time, uh, which I was a fan of, despite yeah. it having flaws. I still, but I think she is terrific in this, and this is the type of film where it is star needed because it is like this: it is them in front of a camera on a computer having to act their butts off and she yeah. crushes it. Um, so missing really, it was, I was so pleasantly surprised both that it existed. Cause I had no idea it was coming out. It was like, <laughs> I'm like, what is this? Um, and then uh, that it was good. Uh, all the, won me over more. Um, and then my winner though, for most surprising uh, is, is interesting one because the initial viewing, it didn't surprise me that much. It was the days and weeks that came after that really surprised me that I couldn't stop thinking about the film. And that is the holdovers. Um, I am not a huge Alexander Payne fan. Uh, I have become one, I think with this movie, I, I, I like election, but I have issues. One, it, it made me uncomfortable, uh, for it's, it's trying to, uh, yeah. there's elements of it that are uncomfortable. I also, a controversial opinion. I don't like Matthew Broderick in a lot of stuff, and he annoys the crap out of me in Election. So I don't <laughs> love that movie, which is a I lot of people's go-to. I, 
I've only seen Sideways once, but I did like it when I saw it. Okay. Um, I I think downsizing is interesting, but I don't mm. think all of it works. Um, there's something else of his that I saw that I can't think of right now. I haven't seen about Schmidt, and I have not uh, seen Nebraska. Two of his I big liked Oscar about Schmidt plays. When I saw it originally when it came out. And it's, I'm more compelled to watch it now because I saw the holdovers and I liked the holdovers when I saw it. I thought it was very good. And then days went by and I kept thinking about it. And days went by and I kept thinking about it. And then I rewatched it literally last night and it went from a four-star movie to a five-star movie for me. It, it, I think it's Damn. an all-timer. Um, there's some parts in it that just crack me up. I think the the kid whose name I don't remember um, is an up-and-coming star. This is his debut. He's fantastic. But Giamatti is crushing it. There's this, as a teacher, He's not. A, he is not a teacher like me, mind you, because um, he he <laughs> seems to hate teaching. But he, he has insight into the importance of education that I also value the way he does. And there's a scene in a museum where he gives a speech about uh, understanding the past is how we better understand the present, and that is something I didn't used to agree with and have really come to understand as as I've gotten older. Um, that I the more I understand, like with movies, the more movies I've seen from the old days, the more I understand the context of today's films and. That stuff really resonated with me, and I am always, and I've always said this, I'm a sucker for found family movies, and The Holdovers has yeah. a huge element of found family that just works for me uh, in every way. And it, the second viewing cemented it. It is, it is just a masterpiece of a movie, and Alexander Payne uh, is a filmmaker who maybe I need to go back to and revisit some of the other movies um, that I haven't seen. So that's my most surprising. Because again, that, that first viewing, I was like, this is good. Second viewing, I was like, this is a masterpiece. So like that, Damn. That, the fact that it, it it stayed with me for so long, uh, a lot of movies this year didn't do that. Like there's, again, I mentioned one earlier that I, I saw and completely forgot that I saw. This was one that I saw. And despite watching tons of movies afterwards, I mean, so many movies, I was in that time where I'm cramming in all these award movies. I'm yeah, getting yeah. all these screeners. The holdovers kept kind of rising to the top. And like they say, man, the cream rises. So, um, did you pay 30 bucks on VOD for it? I didn't. It's on, it's on Peacock. Uh, so ah, sweet. Um, uh, yeah. So was I was like, Hey, thank you, Peacock. Yeah. But, uh, Matt, what, what surprised you this year? Uh, well, unsurprisingly is some, some of the films haven't been released yet in the UK. Distributors sort your stuff out. But for me, JB, um, the most, three most surprising films of the year for me. Now, um, the first one isn't, is a huge film is Barbie. I generally oh, thought this would yeah. be rubbish just because I thought it was going oh, to be wow. a bit fluffy, a bit pointless, you know, a bit, bit of a fun kind of like romp through Barbie world. But boy, was I wrong. I was surprised at how much I really enjoyed this and how invested I became very early on and how into the messages I got and into the story uh, and into the site, into all of it. I just, you know, it, it surprised me. And then you hear all the buzz. Oh, this is really good. And it's, it, it's, t- it's telling this deep, meaningful story. And even though it's Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach writing, I still kind of always in the back of my mind thought, is it though? A bit like Thor, is it though? And then with the whole Barb Bar, uh, Barbenheimer going on, I thought, are we just getting sucked into this to sell tickets? But I was like, no, damn, this is really surprising me how, how much I enjoyed this film. And it's very high in my uh, top films of the year, which I never thought would happen at the beginning of the year. Uh, so that's on me. And I own that one. Barbie surprised me. The second uh, runner-up JB is Godzilla minus one. Now, 2016's Shin Godzilla should have alerted me to this being potentially very good because that film was Shin Godzilla's great. So I shouldn't have been blinkered by, you know, Godzilla King of the Monsters, Godzilla versus Kong and things like that. 
that's kind of in my head. And I'm going to watch Godzilla minus one. I again heard good things, was pumped for it, but I was surprised by just how engaged emotionally and narrative I was with this film. And I couldn't believe how much I loved this when I came out of the theater, big old angry Godzilla as beautiful coupling and family story, the political overtones they combined to create a real banger of a film. This, uh, there are not many, there's again, no, this isn't necessarily a spoiler for anything later on, but I, I don't, I only gave a handful of five stars last year. This is one of them. I think it's a five star film. It really, really got me. And a lot of that is, like any good reviewer, I think you should extol your thoughts upon the film rather than just saying it looked good, it sounded good. No, but a lot of it was I was surprised at how much it affected me, and that's why it got that bump in in, in ratings. But the most surprising film of the year, John, for me, in a year where Dan did we get films about Tetris and Cheetos and sneakers, the most surprising oh. film of the year for me is Blackberry. I thought, yeah, awesome, awesome. I did not for one second think I would give two dams about the story of the creators of the BlackBerry smartphones. But again, which we should have learned from the social network that that's not always the case, but yeah, totally. Exactly. I think it's more because I was looking at it like this year, as mentioned, you had air, um, flaming hot BlackBerry. Um, I'm sure there's another one just like origins of these multi-million dollar conglomerate companies. But you know, the story of Mike Lazaridis and Doug Freakin, who, uh, founded BlackBerry alongside uh, Glenn Howerton's Jim Balsilli was one of the most engaging and stupidly entertaining films I saw and tense films I saw in 2023. I think this is comfortably Jay Baruchel's best performance at uh, live action at least. And I think the performances actually throughout are incredibly good. And there's this real chaotic energy that permeates BlackBerry. Um, and I think there's it, it's the, the cinema verite style of filmmaking that Matt Johnson, who directs it, employs, really puts the audience in the room with the characters. You are in there, and that really allows for the tension to grow that bit more. But rather than focusing on the product or anything else, they just focus on the men behind the company, which is why I think the film really succeeds. We get to understand their motivations. We see them change, specifically Mike Lazaridis, and we get to see how they deal with the major moments individually. And... I also like the fact that Johnson doesn't necessarily show maybe everything that ever happened. He picks what we need to see. There's no unnecessary subplots. There's no fluff in this film. It felt so taut and it's so compelling and it's a very rewarding experience. And I put at the end of my review, you know, we may know the outcome of this story, but waiting for that implosion has really felt so gratifying in a film like this. Really, really surprised me. So Blackberry, it's my most surprising film of 2023, JB. I like that. Good pull. Thank you, my friend. So, uh, yeah, from most surprising film, what's next, JB? Oh, is that, is that how it works? Um, sorry. It uh, yeah, so we're going now, I think, to our big categories that we start to get into here, and we're going international, which makes sense for this podcast because we are international. But um, we are. This is our best international feature. So, Matt, I'd like to know what your best international movies were this year and for you do american movies count as international films i thought this again i thought this while i was writing i was like well every film's international for me apart from a select few that get released over here um no i guess uh, any uh non-english language film would cast as international i'll call it that so um, my first runner-up, JB, is a film we both caught at Fantasia. It's called Red Rooms, Les Chambres Rouges. Uh, um, oh, yes. 
yeah at its core it's a psychological thriller and a character study of the kind of of the perverse obsessive and most dangerous members of society framed through this a trial going on a courtroom trial and it's a damn good one as well there's a few i know you thought so as well there's a few very intense scenes or kind of jaw dropping scenes as one in particular and it's a taut tense shocking and importantly most importantly very very good thriller very very good thriller red rooms i recommend anyone check it out second one the second runner up jb is one i've just mentioned godzilla minus one uh, for all the reasons i have just mentioned that's why it's my second um runner up in the best international feature i think it's incredibly good but my best international feature is one i mentioned at the top of the show smoking tigers this was a mm. film directed by so young shelley so who in 2022 pitched the idea of the film to tribeca's untold stories program and basically the winning pitch receives a million bucks and a guaranteed screening of the film at the next year's uh, edition of tribeca uh, so young shelley o won the one million dollars to spend on the film was spent wisely because I, th- I i absolutely adored this film jb uh ji young jews korean american teenager ha young She's having a tough time trying to comprehend her parents' separation. She's caring for her younger sister, Ara. Plus, she's got the stress of high school as well. She's studying for college entry exams, and she meets a new group of friends, but she can't show them the real her. She's Korean-American. They are American. She th- uh, Because the reality of her life compared to theirs, she thinks she is somehow lesser. You know, kind of combined, it all sounds a bit like a typical coming-of-age dramedy, and there are plenty of coming-of-age traits throughout this, but this is just a big old drama focusing on teenage and familiar struggles being the outsider looking in friendship stress love all that good stuff and it's set in the late 2000s so it's got just a nice little nostalgic throwback feel as well which maybe grounds the film in a way that setting it now wouldn't have done i've mentioned the look of this film i think um heijin jun creates a very very gorgeous looking film out of something which could have just been pretty run-of-the-mill and uh, Maya, Masayoshi Fajita's delicate score is also very, very good. And the silence, you mentioned with like Ludwig Jonasson, how this film uses silence and the way they strike that balance is so well done. But in the lead, Ji Young Yu is fabulous uh, leading this film. And the film's pretty simple, but it's one that gets, for me, pretty much everything right. So you can have a simple premise, but you've still got to nail those basics. And if you can do that and elevate it like this film does, it's a huge win. It's beautifully shot. It's wonderfully placed. I think the writing is very sharp and smart. It's well acted. A very good emotional undercurrent. Again, adored this movie, JB, and this one was from Tribeca. So Smoking Tigers was my best international feature. What about yourself, John? So as we mentioned at the top, um, I could easily go with a lot of the, the movies people are going to be talking about with the award season. Um, some yep. really great international films I have seen, and, and I do think they're great. I went with more like personal ones that really clicked and resonated for me for one reason or another. Uh, my first runner-up is The Promised Land. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, um, it's kind of got like There Will Be Blood vibes. Uh, as someone on Letterboxd has, There Will Be Potatoes, because that is like, <laughs> he, he uh, he's trying to prove himself. He's trying to earn his place in nobility. He asks for a piece of land that they say is, you can't, you can't grow anything on this land. He's like, I will. And then he ends up in a kind of a feud with this uh, duke who claims that it's his land. And it's a battle of attrition at times. It's a, there's some very extreme violence and Mads is at like the top of his game. He's just being awesome. Um no. 
it, it's a really i was just like when it ended i was like what a movie i was just kind of like floored by it um it's it's quiet it's it's very like slow at times but man it's so methodical so intentional really stood out to me as a top movie um i, I hope people i think it's not coming out till february in the states even like on a wide release but mm -hmm. it, it, it did have a qualifying run so it is eligible for 2023 um i love movies about teachers uh what a shock um and i <laughs> went there's a couple that were international there's the teacher's lounge which i saw and was really really good but the one that resonated with me was a little bit more upbeat and it's called radical uh stars eugenio De derbez and it's based on a true story about this teacher in a Mexican border town uh, plagued by uh, violence and neglect and uh, just corruption. And, and it, it deals with a lot of stuff that parallels with the American education system in a, lot, in a lot of ways. And I really connected with the teacher's um, general unwillingness to let the system beat him down until it, it kind of does. But uh, a movie that definitely resonated with me a lot. Um, but my favorite international film of the year was one that I had no idea. I was going to love, but I am so grateful for Neon for sending us their box for our consideration because I got to see Perfect Days, which essentially is Patterson 2. Um, I love Patterson. Jim Jarmusch's Patterson is one of my favorite films. I, it, I can throw it on and I just zone into it and I love it. It's and gorgeous. that is what Perfect Days is in so many ways. Although I think the uh, there's an emotional surprise ending that i wasn't ready for with perfect days that i think works really well and also my awareness of the cool japanese public toilets that i knew nothing about before this movie <laughs> um it is a movie about a man who cleans toilets and there are several scenes of him scrubbing toilets and but some of the bathrooms are like so cool and also nerve-wracking because like the whole wall goes opaque when you lock it but i'm just like i i would somehow turn the it back transparent while i was peeing and everyone would see me and i would be going to jail like i just <laughs> i would never be able to use those bathrooms but um wim wenders is the director and uh i gotta give a shout out to the star uh koji yakusho um he is this quiet internal actor man he gives such a performance um it, it just i'm watching i'm like this is it, it's got patterson vibes and i it's a movie that just really resonates while i'm watching it and i i absolutely adore it i can't wait for you to get to see it i think you'll have a similar reaction but man that's right up my alley i like you i love patterson i think it's a gorgeous slice of life film um so yeah that's one i would absolutely love to check out and i dig into that or non-english language films so the more i can find the better and they sound like three pretty tidy ones jb so let's move on from one big category to another big category we are now moving into best animated feature john what have you got well, I'm going to start with my runner-up. I've already mentioned once, which is Nimona. Um, I, I love this film, and I, I'm going to stand for it. I want everyone to see it. Um, it is on Netflix, so it makes it even easier for people to catch. Um, I, I don't think it, because it's, it was directly to Netflix, a lot of people have slept on it. I don't know if it's going to get an Oscar bid. I, I really think it should. Like I I am much more up on some of the, the big studio uh animated films and a lot of other people like i'm i'm lukewarm on wish i would even say more positive than most i i liked elemental where a lot of people really slept on it mm -hmm. um and honestly migration way better than it deserves to be like migration is really solid Ducks. but nimona is is leaps and bounds ahead of that and it, it should be watched so I, I can't rave enough about it um next one i think qualifies as an international film too but robot and dog um mm. another neon film uh, it's almost silent if it isn't silent as far as like there's no dialogue um it is this treaty on friendship and hope and whimsy and there's some 
incredible animation. It is an independent studio. Like, this is not a studio whatsoever. Like, the level of animation, there is a dance sequence that I can't imagine how many man hours would have gone into animating. It is incredible. Um, it, it's so sweet. It's so loving. Uh, I, and I, I only really knew to watch it because of Big Tuna. This is one of his favorite films of the year, and I agree. It is a masterpiece. Um, where I, I totally disagree with Tuna is my my favorite animated film of the year, and it, it's I wish it was a big surprise, but it's across the Spider Verse. People like it is everything I wanted from a superhero movie, everything I wanted from a sequel to Into the Spider Verse, a movie that shocked me and surprised me when it came out. I have seen it so many times, and I have talked about it. I've taught it. This is a film that I was. Uh, I've now defended because some people think it's not a, a complete film. I'm like, no, the story in this film concludes. It then has a, a epilogue that sets up the next film. That's how I have always viewed it. Um, I still feel that way. I don't. I think this movie is complete and it's setting up. And we knew there was another one coming always. Like they had never shied away from that. The second they announced the sequel after Into the Spider Verse, they told us we were getting two. Um, we'll probably get more because it's it's a money making monster for Sony, and that's what Sony is all about. Um, but it's in a year where we got what like ten superhero films. It is leaps and bounds better than all of them. Um, and uh, the again, it, it changed the way we're going to see animated films. It, uh, animation has now really upped its game because of Into the Spider-Verse. This one continues in that trend. Um, and it, yeah, it does a lot of things people don't like um, that I happen to enjoy. I like multiverse stuff, I, especially when I think it's being done well. And I think this one, especially after establishing the first film, it uses the multiverse in a lot of fun ways. It references itself, but it's also true to its characters. And that opening sequence with Gwen is so cool. The, they changed the animation style to have the watercolors, and it just it looks incredible. So this film has stayed with me. I did see it twice. Um, I, I adored it both times, and I bought it. I did buy the steelbook for this one. So unlike Good the turtles, which is just sitting in the cart, I immediately pre-ordered the <laughs> steelbook for this, partly because it's m my daughter is one of her favorite films uh, so much so. I don't even know if it was fully intentional, but she's kind of rocking Gwen's haircut at this point. So Nice. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, it's a movie that just you know, it's it's hands down the best animated film of the year. Nice. Three solid picks. Well, I'm going to steal some of the thunder that JB for my first runner-up mm -hmm. is Nimona. Um, I think this is... I've written, man, I remember you telling me about this film. It's one that, again, I saw the cast, Chloe Grace Moritz, Riz Ahmed in the lead. So I would have caught this one anyway. But I remember you saying that this was... Uh, you caught it before me. It's really good fun. Check it out. And I'm so glad I did because... It's such a fun film and, you know, thematically touches on some pretty heavy stuff, you know, LGBTQ relationships, the mental health issues, diversity, corruption. There's a lot going on here, but it never loses track yes. of the fact that it's also just a really fun story. And the funniest cool part medieval is... medieval futuristic story. Yeah, exactly. Um, with, with big shape-shifting main character, which I thought was so much fun and so well done. But yeah, the, the funniest thing is Disney really dropped the ball, didn't they? Because... This was their film. This was on their slate. But they were like, no, we don't fancy this. Netflix picked it up and we win because of it. I'd love to see it get some more um, buzz generated around it. I don't know how well it will fare when it comes into the, the, the secondary awards like the Oscars compared to the Bambies. But uh, we both really enjoyed Nimona. So that's worth something. Uh, my second run up, JB, is The Boy and the Heron. I think it's just a, an eloquent and yeah. powerful send-off for one of one of the industry's greats, Hayao Miyazaki, one of the great storytellers of 
of cinema um, for nearly four decades, nearly five decades almost. But the animation is crisp. It's probably Ghibli's strongest animation in terms of how it looks. So some of the scenes towards the beginning, um, let's just say where there's fire, for example, just look mind-blowingly good yeah oh my god incredibly good now i will say and we mentioned this on the review i think the narrative the story it, it, it's almost trying to stop itself from derailing a little bit for me in the second half but it becomes so emotional and so impactful by the end that the experience like um joe has said she said like what you feel is in fact the appeal it this may not be ghibli's greatest movie but it's still better than almost every other animation coming out this year it's 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 a wonderful film but none surprise unsurprisingly guess what my best animated feature is for the year john it's going Spider-Man to be across the spider-verse somehow managed to top one of the best comic book films ever into the spider-verse they've 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 seen that and again hold my beer they've they've won up to it the animation is insane the different styles and techniques i use the needle drops are excellent the voice acting especially Shamik Moore as Miles Morales and Hayley Steinfeld as Gwen Stacy is imperious mm-hmm. and it's just damn entertaining. It's so heartfelt, gripping, dramatic, epic in scale. And you, know, you, you, you called the end in one thing. I'll say that damn cliffhanger, man. I think it's so well done, though. And I know some people have were a bit upset. Well, oh, it doesn't feel like an ending or but it felt like a very, very good ending. Like you mentioned, like the epilogue side of it and how they actually do it is we know there's another film coming similarly to how Doom did it and that we know there's other films coming view it through that angle but it expands on the story and our characters now really have proper human existential situations to deal with there's drama tragedy many 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 laughs along the way john just keeps calling me on chai 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 tea uh tt um and listen people can say it's a visual onslaught i know so i i have heard people say it gets to be too much but for me i was blown away by the variation I think alongside the wonderfully crafted narrative and the gut punches that we get alongside some incredibly well delivered and choreographed action, it, I, I understand how it could be overwhelming for some, but I think it's a testament to the entire creative team that for me, that wasn't the case of pacing the editing. They actually, they kill that. There's times to where the film thunders along. There's times where it's allowed to breathe. And I think that is to the film's credit that it never, for me, it never misses a step. And, there's no better way to say it, John, my feelings for this film, than to quote a very famous thespian who once said, my favourite thing about the movie is, like, it feels like a movie. Like, you know, go to the theatre, film, movie. You know, kind of the reason why you go to watch something on the big screen. Man, uh, who, whoever that guy was, Shakespeare, I don't know what his name is, Shakespeare or something, but that's how we feel about this film. Is it the best comic book movie ever? Probably. For me, it, it, it could it could very well be, and it's not hyperbole or recency bias again. I think it's a sensationally good film, and I, I, I worry about the third film because you've got to be as can, good can as it, this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Styles fans, please don't come at us. Um, so yeah, yeah please don't. We, we easy win from, for me. Easy uh, win. Best animated feature to Matt's favorite category, the one he's done the most research in. Uh, these are best documentary films. Um, I I have seen thirty documentaries from twenty twenty three, uh, which is still I think by comparison to the hundred almost two hundred movies. Sorry, over two hundred movies I've seen this year. A small percentage of them are documentaries. It feels like more, but not. And Matt said the same thing. It feels like he's watched more, but I think he just barely had enough to make a list. So Matt, what are your uh, best documentaries of twenty twenty three? 
you ain't kidding, man. I, I caught four documentaries this year and one of them I can't remember the name of. So that just didn't make the cut. I it wasn't actually it was it was it wouldn't have actually made the cut, I think. It was a decent documentary. It was about um somebody who uh speed speed ran games so they had records for yeah, I've never games. seen it. I, yeah. I skipped it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it, it was okay, but it was it, about a Twitch streamer, you know, a very moving story, but it, I, I couldn't remember the title, so therefore we didn't make the list. But the third one is one which we both saw, and it, it was okay. It's called The Ghostbang Miracle. I really like the intrigue in it, and I really liked how it was presented and how the director kind of made you shift allegiances throughout Um how it ended you know maybe left a lot to be desired but however it's not a film it's a, an apparently like allegedly true story um so the kind of switch up at towards the end was a bit abrupt but i loved the idea of it almost like a true crime feel to it so if you're into that i think you'll like the first two thirds of this uh second runner up is stan lee the documentary about stan lee which was on Disney Plus again. We what? saw this at Fantasia. <laughs> yeah, man, exactly. I did. I've only seen I a few this, this year, uh, and it's a good documentary. Does it dive into every facet of Stan Lee's life? No. This is going on Disney Plus. It's a, it's a celebration of Stan Lee. They're not talking about any of his feuds, any of his misdemeanors. It's all about Stan Lee. It's very condensed, but it, I thought the way that they got archival interviews, archival audio. And the way they uh, blended that in with the uh, cartoon style graphics. I thought that was very cool. Uh, and a, a nice little tribute to Stanley, if not the greatest. And my the best documentary I saw this year, only because I saw it twice, because we had the, uh, the director and the producer on Star Wars Sessions, was A Disturbance in the Force, how the holiday special was created, the Star Wars holiday special. We had... It, it's funny. Yeah, we had Jeremy Kuhn who produced Napoleon Dynamite. He came on the show alongside and he directed this documentary and Kyle Newman, who was in fanboys and many other things. He came on the show and we okay, spoke about the documentary and hearing them talk about it and just how they crafted and created it was a cool insight. And for me as a huge Star Wars fan, I knew an awful lot of some of the ins and outs of how this holiday special was made because you know, when you're in a geek fan and you, you, you search these things out, but I learned a few new things about it. I learned about the variety TV, uh, uh, industry of the, of the seventies and the machine, should I call it? Uh, some of the directorial choices, more about Lucas's involvement and then subsequent non-involvement. Um, and it was just funny. And I had great guests. Of course they wheeled out Kevin Smith. We love Kevin Smith, but when it comes to it, that man would that man would go to the opening of an envelope if he could. Um, but he was on it. Seth Green was there. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic. A lot of the people who worked on the holiday special. It's just it's just good fun. It was again. Was it the most mind blowing documentary? Maybe not. Is it for the wide wider mainstream, the wider audience? Absolutely not. It's a very niche documentary. But for this guy, because of my allegiance, limited to the it was, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was must see viewing, but it's not one which I, I, I can sit there wholeheartedly and say it probably wouldn't be in most people's top five or 10, but for me, you only saw four. It was the only one that's going to be number one. So you though saw and a see, lot. And I've seen pretty much all of the potential Oscar shortlisted documentaries minus a couple, but um, none of those are going to be on my list here. <laughs> um, I decided to go with the more personal ones, but like, I want to shout out real quick uh, beyond utopia rule of two walls. Um, 20 Days of Maripol, 
all very emotional, really devastating yeah. documentaries, especially uh, Rule of Two Walls and um, 20 Days of Miracle, which are uh, filmed inside the Ukraine war right now. And there is some visuals that I wish I'd never seen um, because of the horrors of war and I think are must-see viewing. However, I wanted to go with some movies that maybe are less known and definitely dealing with much lighter stuff, but maybe resonated with a little more for me. Okay. First one is BS High. Uh, BS High yeah. is on HBO Max, and as a teacher, um, things like this really hit uh, because it's about a coach who lies and cons people into uh, basically getting um, an ESPN game for a team that really doesn't exist. There's no school for this team. And and this con being exposed and and how blatant he is and like in, he's doing an interview just like this and you're just like, this guy is evil. Like that he's so confident and cocky just sitting here telling the story. Um really compelling, crazy story. Um next up is uh my second runner up or whatever is rather and it's about Dan Rather, and I'm Dan a Rather. I'm a journalist, and um, I loved this documentary. I thought you know, he, seeing the power of journalism, uh, specifically through this one journalist and how he approached uh, giving the news, I just found it really captivating and compelling, and a great tribute to this man um, who we you know journalism's really changed over the last twenty years, and it's uh, it's a shame because it's a vital part of any democratic system. Um, not to say journalists are not evil. They definitely some are, but um, good journalists are important to keeping truth and honesty out in the world, hopefully, hopefully. Um, and uh, the last one, you mentioned Kevin Smith. Well, this one is inspired by Kevin Smith's film, Chasing Amy. This is Chasing, <laughs> Chasing Amy. Uh, I don't know if any of, like, I don't know the availability of Rather. I feel like it's going to be real hard to see Chasing, Chasing Amy unless you see it at a festival right now. Mm -hmm. But it's a really personal documentary because it's not, it's not about the movie Chasing Amy, and yet it is, but it's specifically about the filmmaker's experience and relationship to Chasing Amy um, and how they use that film as a way of dealing with their own changes and struggles and finding acceptance. And I think the power of cinema to show us us is so important, and we, we don't often get fair representation. I, I can't say that as a white male, I have had millions of representation on screen, but we have been pushing for better rep representation of all people. And um, this movie explores that exact thing. A, a person as a teenager finding a film that they finally looked at a screen and like, that's me and how it affected their life for the better and the worse and uh, their relationship with it and how it affected the relationships. It is such an intimate and personal documentary. I was, I cried multiple times. I was just really connected. And of course, I am myself a Kevin Smith fan. So that side of that documentary, while I can't speak to the same idea of representation, that idea of finding this connection, uh, the reason I started podcasting was Kevin Smith. And the reason I decided to lose weight and start exercising was because Kevin Smith almost died of a heart attack. And I was like, I don't want to die of a heart attack. Um, so uh, I really connected with this doc and there was no way I couldn't put it as my number one because it was such a, such a personal documentary for the filmmaker, but I connected it to it at such a personal level. Um, and I did reach out to the filmmaker after seeing it and was like, I really was moved by this. And I, I actually, we had an email exchange, really, really kind person. And I, um, I feel... I don't know, like, I don't know if spoiling is, is an accurate thing for documentary, but I'm purposely not saying names and stuff because of the nature of the documentary. And I would rather just people experience it if you can. So chasing, chasing Amy, um, check it out. Um, 
I remember yeah, so you, when you'd you, seen this, how how mm-hmm. I remember you saying how much joy you got out of this and how much emotion you got out of it. So I, I can't say I'm surprised that it is your number one, uh, my friend. And hopefully, yeah. you know, us mentioning these documentaries, whether we say they're the best in the best ever or they meant something to us, hopefully go check them out and maybe um, I could take my own advice and check out more documentaries. I said I would last year. Really I think good. I actually watched less this year. But I will try. I will actually aim this year, John, to watch at least one a month. I will try. So then next year we'll have. I'll have. A Now's much a good time. Palette. You should try to try to find the five uh, Oscar nominees at least before the Oscars. It would be my my encouragement to you. Try to watch at least those if you can. Ooh. I know sometimes it won't be available for you to see them um, because of the chaos. I will do my very best, Josh. Good, good tip, actually. But um, well, documentaries aside, we're now moving into what some would consider to be the the creme de la creme of any awards. We are now moving into the acting, the directing, and obviously the top films of the year. But we're going to start off, John, with best supporting actress. So, who's your runners up, and who is your winner for this year? So, my runner up number one is Claire Foy for All of Us Strangers. Um, an emotionally powerful movie uh just it that's another film that's really stayed with me i've only got to see it once i really want to see it again um it's devastating but man is it really really good and foy is there's a scene with i I actually don't remember the lead's name right now um he's also tremendous but uh there's a scene with him and her that is so good it's so crushing and just really reminds you that foy is a really talented actress despite a girl in the spider's web um (laughs) next up uh one that's getting a lot of buzz uh, anyways, but I couldn't help but put her on my list is Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer. Um, you know, she she's... I, I hope supporting is correct for that. Now I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, yeah, is she right. lead? Because she, okay, she is supporting. the lead female, but yeah. it's a supporting role um, for sure. Like, uh, But yeah, she's I, I love Emily Blunt, and I think she's really good. The, the one scene where she really gets to shine in the film is, the, is a de- deposition scene, and she just crushes um like a lot of that but um my favorite uh supporting performance is divine joy randolph from the holdovers um there's a scene i won't spoil it for you matt but there's a scene in the kitchen of a christmas party where it brought me to rubble last night watching it the second time like it it worked on me the first time but this time around i was really paying attention to her because she'd stuck out i i really became aware of her as an actress from uh uh, only murders in the building season two and three um she is the police officer who's investigating the the murder of the season each time and she's been great on that show this was my first time really like aware of her uh in a movie and she's also surprising i watched office christmas party for the first time and she's security guard in that movie and i was like hey um I, i just i think she needs more work and this film just showcases she is a talent she brings so much emotion and so much there's like a natural uh effervescence about her that i just really really clicked with in holdovers and her and giamatti just have really solid chemistry in a uh plutonic way which i i appreciate i like when movies allow for two a male and female character to just be plutonic friends and it's not pushing some romantic agenda um and yet there's a clear respect and admiration between the two but it's not that type of admiration i think it's really powerful and it really works in the holdovers i wish i'd seen the film because i know that divine joy random was getting buzz so and that's i wanted I really to see her she, she pulls it off oh man well, i think it's probably gonna she... go to blunt for the oscars but i don't know man there's a big push for the holdovers right now i'm like let's let's give it to her please 
I think they're waiting for me to see it before they make their decision. But um, I would love to have seen it for that reason. But So for that reason, of course, she's not going to be on my list because I haven't seen the film. Maybe she would have done. But for me, uh, my first runner-up, John, is Julianne Moore from May, December. May, December, oh. man, you've got Julianne Moore, Natalie Portman. That need I say more in terms of titans of acting to the best actors working nowadays going head-to-head against each other. Julianne Moore, I think she excels again in a very highly charged, very dramatic role, balancing heavy emotions and a heavy subject. You know, I'm going to spoil what the film's about and kind of the swings that come along and the emotional mood swings that go along with that. You know, she makes it look so easy because which is so a testament to how good she is as an actor that, um, you know, I'm watching this and I just believe that she is this character whom she is, portraying which is not an easy character to play so julianne moore is my first run up second runner up john is vanessa kirby from napoleon i thought this was a towering performance in a let's be uh, diplomatic a less than towering movie she was by far the best part of napoleon i thought she was huge in this film and without her and the and her I don't know, there's something that's a really biting performance. And whereas I think Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon is just Phoenix in a hat. I felt more believable with Kirby as Empress Josephine. I think she's she's she she brings a seduction to the role, there's a sexiness there, but there's a real grit and steeliness to her performance. And I really like what they did with the, with her with the the real life character, but in the film, I like how they kind of didn't change her story, but they brought her more to the forefront. And Vanessa Kirby is really, really, you know, on a hot streak. Yeah. She's she's really proven she's one of the game, one of the up and coming, or one of the best actors out there now. But she didn't take the Bambi for me for best supporting actress for me though. JB is one whom actually uh, I'd, I I I'd clocked this one when I first saw it, and I voted for. Um, this lady in the UK Film Critics Association as well, when she went on to win, I think, I think, for Best Supporting Actress over here for the for the UK Critics Association, I'm in. And that's Rachel McAdams for Are You There, God? It's Me, oh, Margaret. How sweet. I, I, I thought she is just excellent. She is the soul of the entire movie, I thought. I, I thought she, without ever meaning to put down anyone else in the film, because I think everyone's great, but I think she is the best part of the film she steals the film she's got such warmth and again i use the word again but a steal to her as well that she becomes like the heartbeat of the entire movie and she and let's be honest i mean that the the role itself could have just been a you know a stock role frustrated overworked mum but she turns it into this layered and passionate portrayal she elevates what could have been a fairly vanilla role uh, she's attempting to find peace and balance for herself and riding the wave of her daughter margaret's uh, development physical development emotions and the way she does it is so heartwarming so so wonderful to watch so joyous um and her uh interactions shall we say with her husband played by benny Safdie. Um, her parents, because she's Christian, her husband in the film, Benny Safdie, is Jewish. Her parents disowned her because of this. So there's, that's a big plot of it as well. So she gets a lot of big moments coming out of that. She loves painting and art, but she ends up joining the PTA and just cuts out stars for loads and loads of stars and how that all plays off. It's such a heartwarming film anyway. I love this film, but I think she is excellent 
in it. She's a, she's the best of an excellent ensemble in that film. So for me, Rachel McAdams is the best supporting actress for the Bampies. Very good. A great performance for sure. What's next? Do I, oh, I, I man, I can't get the flow of this. Uh, best supporting actor <laughs> is next. Um, in my head, you finish and then you should introduce the next, and it's like it's wrong. It's the other way around. So, best supporting actor is uh, the obvious counter to the previous. Matt, who are your your best supporting actors for twenty twenty three? Two possibly obvious ones. One a little bit more out there. My first runner up is Glenn Howerton in Blackberry. Man, did I enjoy him in this role. He nails everything required of him as this charismatic, slimy businessman who takes the reins of Blackberry. And to be fair, he sends it into the stratosphere, but also brings it crashing back down to earth and pretty much kills off the company. And he stole the movie for me with a complete balls out performance that caught me off guard. Now, look, I'm aware of Glenn Howerton. I was a very good actor, but I thought he was just incredibly charismatic in this film. And it stuck with me. Almost wrong. unrecognizable. Yes, like, the way he, they like I didn't realize it was the always sunny guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's got he's got a lack of hair in comparatively to how I'm used to seeing Glenn Howerton, and that's not a bad thing. Um, but yeah, this is one of the ones I'd put down on the Bampies list early on as a kind of I put you in there now, so I remember, but I didn't need to because I immediately yeah. remembered when I come back to doing this. Uh, my so, yeah, it's almost like a Titanic struggle. I don't know if yours is the same, but there are two actors who in reality outside of the Bampies, people are tipping for this uh, award for the Oscars. And they're both in my list, but in which order? My first runner-up, John, is Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. Oh, okay. He's my first runner-up, I think. And a lot of people a lot of people aren't going to like this. Maybe yourself, John, but I think with the shackles of Marvel finally gone, RDJ's oh. able to act again. Let's forget about Doolittle. That never happened. But he's able to just perform again. Now, I don't mean that negatively because, you know, the MCU is you, you do what you need to do in a, in a comic book film and there is some good and he, he brings it in those final few films. But here is this is a different game. Playing the role of Lewis Strauss gave him a role he could sink his teeth into and he sunk his teeth into this role. I love the um, the makeup and hairstyling on him and his back and forth with Olden Aaron Reich, who also think it goes under the radar. I think he's excellent in this uh, and Oppenheimer himself. They're, they're, they're magnetic conversations and it's great to see RDJ excel like this we know he can do it and it's so good to see him really get into a role like this and his portrayal is so damn good like you w w when we first meet him oh it's Robert Downey Jr we love Robert Downey Jr then as the film goes on we start to see the, the the politics of it all come out and I think he portrays the character and the changing perception so damn well and in any other year, he is the standout for me. But like I said, with some of the other categories, sometimes you've got to go with your gut and you've got to go with what you made, what, what was the most memorable. John, for me, the best supporting actor of 2023 was Ryan Gosling in Barbie. He, we, we think we say RDJ ate his roll up. Ryan Gosling ate this up and went back for seconds and thirds. He had the whole damn puffy. There's so much effervescence and enthusiasm. It's hard to look elsewhere for me. There's more to the role here as well. I think there's a distinction to be made. He's not just this oiled up beefcake in snazzy outfits. There's more to the role than just that. And Goslin sells the hell out of it, out of the depth and development that this character gets. There are so many people who at the end of this film were very angry at what the film 
what they perceive the film was trying to say and how where Ken ends up. But no, man, where Ken ends up is excellent. I mean, he's singing about it and it's such a positive message for Ken and for all of the Kens out there. Uh, and, and if you've missed that, then, you know, I feel sorry for your son, but come on. But his enjoyment of playing Ken is infectious on screen. Off screen, it's been a joy to hit see the interview process and the press tour for this. And I think the movie yeah. suffers maybe a little bit, just a little bit, when he isn't in the thick of the action. You know, I really like Barbie, but when he is on screen, it's magnetic to watch. Of course, I'm just Ken. What a wonderful song that is. And it's just a memorable turn. And whilst it could be argued that others on, on my list, you know, let alone yours or, or, or the wider variety, you could say that the, the other two on my list are maybe deeper or you know, better acted. This one took it for me because it swept me up the most. I got most into this character and what 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 they were trying to say and sell to me. So Ryan Gosling, as Ken, was my best supporting actor of the year. John, I'm so interested to know what yours are. So my first runner-up is Dominic Sessa for The Holdovers. Um, it's, I believe, his debut performance. Um, I The kid is great. Uh, he's He doesn't just have scenes with... I mean, he has scenes with Giamatti, he has scenes with Divine Joy Randolph and all three of them together, but he has scenes with the other kids uh, before, like, they go on Christmas break and everything, and he's just, man, he just has star power to me. Um, he's got a very sharp kind of comedic wit that I often am a fan of. Um, there is a sadness behind the eyes, which is really vital to this particular character. I just think it's a really great debut performance. I, I think debut performance, debut for mm -hmm. me, I'd never seen him before. Um, I, he wasn't on my list until the second viewing, though, and I was like, yeah, I gotta give this kid a, a, nice. some, some shout-outs. Um, uh, first runner-up, Paul Mescal for uh, all of us strangers um nice uh i might it's mescal i don't know how to say his last name but um we slept we were like the anti for i don't even remember the movie called the summer after movie sun. the movie with the daughter uh, after sun we both were nah, nah, don't like it and it wasn't him but uh, it just didn't click um he's in a couple other things i have seen and i did like him in but this movie um i mean i i honestly could have said jamie bell for this too because i think jamie bell is really really good at in all of the strangers and again i feel so bad that i can't remember the lead actor's name i should have looked it up but uh he could be on my list neither of them are but i, I do have two from that movie because it, it stayed with me it's one of those films i kind of went in i hadn't seen the trailer i didn't know much about it it sounded really good and it was and then as i keep thinking about it, i'm like man that movie does some really deep dive personal That's exploration it, and it's really really good now um Matt, I think a lot of people are going to come at you for your 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 pick, but I'm going to back you up, man. Uh, Ryan Gosling is it? Uh, he's enough, guys. I mean, <laughs> there's so much brilliance in his like. Gosling is one of the most versatile actors because he can do comedy. Like I don't, I, I don't think there's another leading man who can pull comedy off like Gosling can. I agree. Uh, if you haven't seen the Nice Guys, I really recommend it. I'm. I'm hyped for the fall guy because of him. I, I just, you know, <laughs> it, it, if it were anyone else in the role, I'm like, I don't know if he can do it, but like, I think Gosling is perfect for that kind of old school physical humor. He does double takes like nobody else. I mean, is he's just <laughs> so funny. And here, like it's, it, there's so much nuance to the performance, even though it's like, it's big and it's this brash kind of character at times. There's so many little subtle things, even some of the joke delivery, it's said in just this kind of old school, like Bill Murray screwball comedy kind of way that really works for me. And I just loved him in this film. I, I walked away just like, what a performance. And, and again, like you said, it's only gotten better watching him outside of the movie embrace this movie. And yes, I think there is a little bit of desperation because he should have got the Oscar for 
you know, La La Land maybe. Like, Emma Stone gets it. He doesn't. You know he wants it so, so bad. And, man, if he gets it for Barbie, that's... I mean, again, obviously Barbie has hit levels of prestige that I don't think anyone was sure it could. Um, Even though, yes, the Gerwig and Bombach of it all, they're both prestige filmmakers at this point. But still, like, this is an IP that no one expected to have that kind of backing and it it does because it has that pedigree but i i man if he doesn't win i will be sad i really really hope he gets this um but for me he won so you got two bampies ryan uh sing a song to us um please do so we need we need to feel that kennedy johnny we need to feel it indeed Right, we're talking about, uh, let's bring that John G to the next level then. We've gone from the supporting roles, now let's get into the leading roles. We're going to get into Best Actress of 2023. First runner-up, I just mentioned, Emma Stone for Poor Things. Um, It is one of the bravest performances, and it's sad that we have to say that, but she she is allowing some crazy stuff and she she's clearly trust lanthimos after working the favorite and uh it has some of the most ridiculously crazy scenes of any movie like there's i I imagine a lot of people have seen the dance number with her and ruffalo at this point because there's even there's a really great video where willem dafoe and mark ruffalo are doing an interview together about it and they're talking about the dance and they're kind of like doing the dance sitting down in chairs but um (laughs) she is funny she's uh I mean, intelligent, powerful. She's just such an incredible actress. I've been a fan of Emma Stone now. I mean, 20 plus years almost, I think. Uh, I remember seeing like The Rocker, which a lot of people don't know that movie, but uh, Rain Wilson and Josh Gad and and Emma Stone and uh, Teddy Geiger are in a band together. And I, there's a comedic cast that support that movie that is outrageous. And I love that film. It's probably not good, but for me it works. And I've been a fan (laughs) of hers for a long time and she's tremendous in this. So poor things again, when you get to see it, man, I know you'll enjoy it. Um, this one was hard though, because I, I honestly would be okay with my second runner-up being the the winner, which is Lily Gladstone for *Killers of the Flower Moon*. Um, I really like *Killers of the Flower Moon*. It's not my favorite film of the year. I do. I, I'm a big Scorsese fan. I love DiCaprio. I love De Niro. But Gladstone is the one who grabbed my attention in that film. Every scene she's in, and she's not talking a lot. But no, man, does no. she give so much. There's so much to her performance. She's quiet, powerful, and just um, a presence that I was just so impressed with. That I, I, she's, if she were my number one, I would have no shame with that whatsoever. And I actually feel bad that she isn't because the next performance, I just, I just was so blown away by. Um, and that's Carrie Mulligan for Maestro. Um, Carrie Mulligan, the second Maestro ended, I was like, she's my best actress of the year. I have become a huge Carrie Mulligan fan. Yeah. And she is tremendous in Maestro. I was so, I didn't expect that, to be honest. I honestly didn't know what I was getting when I went to see Maestro. And I was, I'm really glad I got to see it on the big screen. Thank you, Netflix, for letting us have that opportunity. Because um, I know a lot of people are going to see it only on Netflix. And I think that movie benefits from an audience and a big screen. And Mulligan's performance, man, she is just so impressive. She gives so much emotion. Um, I, I just thought she was outstanding. So it was a, a no-brainer. As much as I think Gladstone would be deserving to have it, Mulligan just really clicked for me, and I, I had to put her at number one. No, good shout, JP, because she is my first runner-up in this. Uh, oh, I, think, okay. I think she's the best performance in the film. She's got this quiet grace and poise throughout, and and um, I think similarly to how I mentioned the Rachel McAdams, I think 
Kerry Mulligan is the heartbeat of the film. Obviously, Bradley Cooper will get a lot of plaudits because you know he's a lead and he does so much for the film and he's a lot more charismatic in his role. He needs to be. Kerry Mulligan is excellent in this. She is understated excellence in this film. She's getting better and better and better with each film. And she's all, she's always a very good actress, but now she's getting better and better. The films I'm seeing in more mm-hmm. recently and like a few actors who we've already mentioned, I don't think it's, I think it's a matter of time before she's standing there with a golden Oscar statue. She's, um, she's got a Bambi for me, but I think she'll have an Oscar within the next decade. I think um, my, my second runner up though, JB is Sandra Hula from anatomy of a fall which is Ooh, also in zone of interest. Uh, yes, yes. She, in, in, in outside of this, she's she's in for this, and she's also in for that as well in the in the in the Oscar buzz. So big year in the Hula household. But I think she's an incredibly strong performance. It's not so, as showy so as the others, is it? But it's I think it's far more nuanced. This there, there's a few scenes. There's one so in particular standout. It's big old argument scene, which I was I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. But you know what she's being asked to do, what the stuff she's being asked to uh, portray. Like the actual, again, the 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 film itself. Check it out if you haven't seen it. I highly recommend Anatomy Before. But you know the story of the film and what she's asked to do and comprehend and um, work with. She is superb. Um, but only makes my second runner-up, JB. My the winner though for best actress for me, outside of those two, is Greta Lee from Past Lives. I thought oh, Greta yes. Lee good performance, very restrained performance, but it's it's just dripping in nuance and culminates in this final release of pure emotion, which is it was incredible to watch first time and second time. It's just this explosion of emotion which she builds up so well because of the way she plays the the, the character through. It's such an immediate performance, and you can. Also, and, and you kind of feel the performance through her physical acting, but just as much through what she isn't saying or doing. But it's more like just the mannerisms, just how she. It might be the way she kind of like awkwardly shuffles when, when when somebody says something or her husband says something, or the way she is on the on the webcam when she's when she's skyping, or or, or, or just the way she smiles and the way she looks. You can tell that there's so much more going on, but behind the eyes which she isn't saying verbally. And I think it's such an incredibly good performance for, and hopefully the breakthrough performance, because I know she's been in many, many other things like Russian doll and girls and many other things, but hopefully now we see her. And I think she's going to be in the Neutron film I heard, but you know, I, I, I'm not sure if she'll get the chance to act as well as she did in this film, but you know, the, the way she portrays the, the longing, for the forlornness, the the love, the emotion, the sadness, and all that kind of the distance in this is it's masterfully done, masterfully done. So Greta Lee wins for me, JB, for best actress. So from actress, we move to actor. We want to know our best actor of twenty twenty three. Matt, who's your first runner? Runner up. I did it right. I thought I messed it up again. No, I did it right this time. You got it. You got it. The the first runner up for me, JB, is Coleman Domingo for his performance in Rustin. Mm. I think it's a very mm-hmm. lively, very animated performance. And yeah, uh, watching the film, I don't think I don't think the film was. I think the film was okay. I think Coleman Domingo is it's much better than the film he's in. But I I learned a lot from the film, and a lot of that is from being so compelled by uh, Domingo's performance as uh, Rustin himself that I was more engaged and maybe i would have been if somebody else was in the role so learn a lot thanks to Colman domingo fabulous performance from him 
Uh, next run up, JB, is uh, Barry Keoghan from Saltburn. Oh, okay. I thought it was a, a, a fabulous, and I think you've mentioned fearless uh, when you talk about Emma Stone. I think this is a very fearless performance from Barry Keoghan. From, and he's one of the best actors out there today. I won't even, I don't even want to call him an up and comer because guy's nearly thirty, not old, but he's been around for a while now. But I just found it to be a a huge performance alongside some very big names, very memorable. And of course, the final scene is well, the final one take is. Again, we're talking fearless. But what the, my man was more, in, more worried about dancing than anything else. I'm like, man, you've got some balls. No pun intended. <laughs> but uh, totally I just thought it's incredibly memorable performance um, in a film which I think we were both surprised that we enjoyed the film as much as we did. Yeah, we're we're on the one side. There's a lot of people on the other side of that argument. Yes, yes. But this is a, a devilish performance, and I think Keoghan oh. again, like Carrie Mulligan, strength to strength to strength to strength. The winner of Best Actor for me, this was nailed in, I think, from the time I saw the film. And nobody's done enough to overtake Cillian Murphy or Killian Murphy in Oppenheimer. I think this is a staggeringly good performance from Killian Murphy, pro, uh, charting oh, yeah. J. Robert Oppenheimer's early days to his kind of days post Hiroshima. He captures so much in this steely and powerful performance. And it was, it was easily the pick of the bunch for me. It's such a thoughtful portrayal, even in the tougher moments for you know, Oppenheimer himself. Murphy brings such a complexity to it. I thought it was outstanding what he does in this film, the transformation, like physically, I think the accent is spot on. And I've sometimes, like I listen out for the accents and it bugs me if it's not right. I think it's great here. And whilst, and I think this is obviously, this plays more into Nolan and the cinematography as well, but the, the image of Killian Murphy you, know, you mentioned it earlier on, hat on, cigarette alight, just staring back at the viewer. That might be the most iconic shot of the year. Like yeah. When you think of 2023, you think of that shot. And yeah, every, everything about his performance in a three hour long film and what he's asked to do from the different periods of Up and Armour's life. In- incredible. And uh, this was nailed on for me. And I knew it would be a tough job for anyone to top Killian Murphy this year. And nobody did. So he is my winner of Best Actor, John. Is he yours? Why don't you tell me? Let's find out. Runner-up number one is Michael Fassbender for The Killer, um, a movie that I don't feel is getting enough love, and I'm just like, I'm throwing all of my love at it <laughs> because I am a David Fincher fan, and I, I also, I'm a Michael Fassbender fan. Uh, he's, you know, we don't get enough of him, and he's done some movies that I've avoided, um, and some that I've seen that I wish I hadn't, and this one is not one of those. This one, I, I think he's great. Um, I think there's so much to the performance because one, he is supposed to be a blank slate and yet he's not a blank slate. He's an unreliable narrator. He's doing, you know, the vo- most of his vo- voice is just through voiceover. We're hearing internal monologue and then he's giving this quiet, crazy performance. There's some really physicality to it. There's some uh, humor to it, which I, I really took to. I just thought he was tremendous uh, in this unique performance um my second runner-up or runner-up no, i still we're almost done and i still haven't latched on to the best way to do this but it's cillian murphy um i think he's tremendous i i really like oppenheimer a lot i'm a nolan fanboy he is fantastic but he didn't get my number one because i i'm giving i'm giving it to the man who i think wants it the most and it's bradley cooper man um he for rocket it. raccoon no <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's not for Rocket. Although I would give it to him for Rocket. I think he is the heart and soul of Guardians 3, and I would be more than willing to let him have it for Rocket. Um, but 
maestro, man. Like, not only is he, like, crushing it as a director, I think he is a legit director. Anyone who was questioning it after A Star is Born, if he's, like, going to be one of those actor-directors who's just, like, I don't know, maybe, like, George Clooney, whose directions have not been great, or is he going to be, like, one of those guys who maybe he just stays behind the camera because he's so good behind it? This movie has so much style, so much flair, but... His performance is powerful. It's memorable, and there's the sequence where he does the, the where he uh, orchestrates an orc. I don't know what the right conducts. phrasing is. Uh, he can oh my god. Uh, he conducts. I did know that. Um, he conducts, <laughs> and it's it's this full sequence, and it's so powerful. And then obviously Mulligan's right there with him, and I think they are bouncing off each other so so well. I, the pair, to me, it was hard not to put them at one for both, and I, I did. I think they both deserve it. I think they're both fantastic. Cooper definitely wants it, and I think I don't want to say it's like a lifetime achievement, but he's done some incredible work and, and a diverse work. Because I mean, if you look at something like you know The Hangover, or even in his early days when he's like the fifth lead in, in The Wedding Crashers, you know, he's the yeah. love yes. rival to Vince Vaughn. Like he's done the the work and he always seems to get better he's a guy who is constantly into the craft and while there's some pushback about the the nose the prosthetic nose in this man i i don't notice it watching the film like it, it's so such a crazy performance and it's you know there's things that i can i totally get people who don't click with maestro but for me it just worked and i love both of the performances so cooper is my best actor of 2023 no, it, it, and, he wants it. We we know he wants it, JB, the, the Oscar, but he's got the Bampy. So if anything, take that Bradley and be happy with it. But when well, you're talking about um, the, the direction of it all, let's move on to that, JB. Best director, our penultimate prize of the night. It's funny because I just said all this praise, but he's not in my top. He's not in my three uh, for director. But um, no, no offense to him. I think he's great. It's just he's up against some some big stuff for this year. He's stacked. Uh, first, I i have been raving about her for a few years now and greta gerwig is a filmmaker who i will see whatever she makes period and i think uh just for what she did with ip filmmaking this year deserves mm -hmm. to be recognized as best director because she does tremendous work and like i was a huge ladybird fan i was a huge little women fan um uh, and barbie when when it was announced i was like oh why why gerwig you could do another yeah. great indie and she kind of does. She does a great indie with tons of money. You know, like there's still that indie yeah, yeah. story underneath all of it. And it's, um, I saw some people criticizing it being too on the nose. I'm just like, shut up. Like, it's a fun <laughs> movie that's also got a message. And it's an IP that I think shouldn't have worked. And it did. And I'm going to give her as much credit as possible. Um, this one, though. I think people should see coming. I love David Fincher. Gosh darn it. And the killer isn't getting enough love. <laughs> Fincher's movies are director leaden. I mean, the dude is like Kubrick as far as not just with takes, but the, the seeking of bringing his vision to the reality of yeah. the film and the people who click with him, it really clicks. But I, I really love his films. And I think the killer yeah. um, is Fincher esque uh, to quote myself. And, and his, um, yeah. There's auteurs I, and then there's I, I, Finchers and Hitchcocks who just have something. Yeah, whether, and again, not every movie they make will be a great movie, but the direction will always be exactly that. It yes. will be great. And for me, it's it's very, very clear. And I've been saying it. And I, I it's important um, because this is it's going to not reflect my, my next part uh, either. It's so weird how I decided to do this, but Christopher Nolan has earned 
the Best Director um, award. He has been snubbed for years at the Oscars, and I I can't. How can you snub him this time? Like this movie, it should not be interesting. It's three hours long. Uh, it's about a man who destroys so many yeah. people's lives because of an invention and and with with this cold apathy at first and yet the movie has the the familiar elements of nolan of the the two different time periods and how it intercuts together i just think it's a masterpiece and uh i haven't brought myself to rewatch it it's one of the few big movies i have not seen twice and i own it and i plan to rewatch it at some point and i've seen almost all of Nolan's films multiple times, except for Tenet, I think. Um, and maybe the following, yeah. like, but I've seen Memento a dozen times. That's not true. I haven't seen Insomnia and stuff, but I've seen all of my favorite Nolan films multiple, multiple times, like yeah. many times. I don't know for sure that I can with this one, but I also like, I remember it so vividly, which doesn't always happen, but I, I do think a lot of it, obviously there's great performances, but Nolan's direction is fantastic in this film. And I think it's time that the, uh, the Academy finally gives the man his due. He is, not only like actively keeping film alive and and physical media and uh the theatrical experience alive something i i wouldn't i'm not giving him this award because of those things but i do think those are things we should consider with this guy yeah. and his love for the medium shows on screen to me and you know again admittedly a fanboy um can't deny it but uh nolan's my pick for best director this year good chat i think the oscars what about will... you but I think the Academy rec- will recognise him this year, but have I? We'll see. Um, my first run-up, JB, is the one which you shockingly shunned. It's Bradley Cooper from Maestro. Sorry, Cooper. Yeah, um, he wants it, and I think he directed the living hell out of this film. He did. He definitely did, 100%. What you said was spot on. He's, this isn't just a guy who is trying his hand at directing. Star is Born was wonderfully directed. This is the next step now. And he is very... If, if the guy said now... I'm just going to do directing based on these two films. Yeah, you do that because they're going to be very good. And alongside uh, Matthew Liberty, who's the cinematographer, who I think he's worked on pretty much all of the Aronofsky films. Those two together, man, created some incredible, incredible shots and transitions and framing here. And, you know, that's not an easy thing to do, especially when it is a biopic of a composer slash conductor, a musician, you know, what are you you going to do? How are you going to sell it? How are you going to make this look sexy? But, they do it. And you mentioned Flair. Cooper shows real Flair. And he portrays the different periods of um, Leonard Bernstein's life exceptionally well. He really captures the old the old school, the old-timey films really well and the, the language and the way they speak um, to later on in life. I think it's a very, very, very impressive second feature. Big, big feature. And again, like you say, he wants it. And I think in his acting performance he pulls out the stops and i think he does the same for directing as well so i wouldn't be surprised to see him be nominated for both uh probably like the i think he's only like the 10th person ever to be nominated for actor and director if that was the case um uh, my first run-up is your winner christopher nolan for oppenheimer oh. what is there to say that you haven't just said not much really the seismic scope of oppenheimer the shifting color palettes the and ratios the technical achievements it's just a fantastically directed movie and like you said, it's it stays with you. There are shots in it. I can I, right now. I can picture them. Sadly, for those watching, you can't see what's in here. Probably for the best sometimes, but I can picture them vividly. These shots, and it's not always just reaction shots. It might just be like a panning shot or an establishing shot. But it's so impressive. But everything, the whole package of what he did, is superb for Oppenheimer. But 
My winner though, JB, is again, it's it's I wouldn't say it's out there, but more understated. It's Celine's song for past lives. Very understated, yet so wholly methodical how this film is directed. Her song's subtlety in her direction really allows the film, no pun intended, to sing. Now, every sequence, every moment, every shot, every production choice, every lighting choice, every decision feels deliberate. It feels calculated and, and like it is going somewhere. You know, people will say the first half is ponderous. I think it's setting up the story. I think it's setting up what's to come. And what a debut film. This is a debut film and it's directed so yeah, deliciously. It's, wild. it's incredible. You've got these patient She's lingering. So like, patient. What? Yeah. Yeah. You, you no, exactly. no, just what you were saying. Patient. Yeah. Patient. The, 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 these, you've got these heartbreaking long takes in as well. And similarly to um, some of the other characters I've said, maybe this film is less showy than the other films. But it's, it is absolutely no less impressive. Her direction of the three characters, like we mentioned, Greta Lee's Nora, um, T.O.U.'s Sung, and John Magaro's Arthur. Like How she directs them together and in the situations and how she presents certainly that final third act as well is powerful stuff. I just think it's an incredibly well done film. And, you know, it's been, as soon as it stayed with me for a long time, and there's shots in Oppenheimer that stay with me. There's a few more in this that stay with me. Sometimes it's just the simplicity of it but it's what they are conveying in the shots and what um, Celine's song is showing us and how she's putting it all together just works for me, my friend. So Celine's song is my best director of the year. So from our best directors, we're going into our final category, the best movies of the year. Uh, What we're going to do for this, though, is we're going to do our top five. So we're going to count down from five to our best picture of the year, and we're going to alternate, which we have not done for the the rest of this. But So Matt's going to start us off. Matt, what's your number five movie of 2023? Well, I have, I think I may have, I may have spoken about all of these already, which is maybe a giveaway, maybe not. So I won't labor the points too much, but my fifth favorite film of the year is Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, I think, is it's just an incredible achievement. I think, I think that it's going to sweep a lot of the awards at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Very well deserved as well. I think it's going to take a lot of the below the line awards, and I wouldn't be surprised if it does take actor, director, possibly best picture as well. But for me, it's number five for the year. But it's it's been a tough, tough year to pick films in for a top five john but that's my five what about yours it is uh my number five is yorgos lanthimos's poor things um Mm -hmm. i am a big fan of lanthimos uh poor things uh, is on that same wavelength of his other stuff and uh i just think the performances both defoe stone uh, ruffalo and i'm going to forget there's another dude who's really good in it who's uh lesser known but um really just it the set design the the story itself it's quirky it's weird it's it's compelling it has a message it's just great um it's not for everyone but if you are if you've seen like the lobster the favorite killing of a sacred deer which has barry Keoghan, um just it's another to me win for lanthimos so poor things my number five moving on then my number four john it's got a number in it but it isn't number one but it's godzilla minus one it roared or smashed its way into the top five late on. I was blown away by this film. I just didn't expect it to, I didn't expect to go to a Godzilla film and cry other than some of the 
crap I've seen coming out of legendary pictures which made me cry for a different reason. But man, they, you know, you said it yourself. They, 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 they gave up, they used the Jaws effect. You know, they, 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 they hold off on Godzilla, but when we see him, it's impactful. Instead, they build up the characters. So when we do see the big guy, the stakes are, are raised to such a level that it's impossible to not get sucked in. And yeah, the action was great. I thought the writing was great. I loved all the undertones and the overtones of it. I thought it ended very well. Godzilla was the most badass I've seen him in years, probably since Shin Godzilla. A huge, huge surprise and a huge win. Number four of the year, Godzilla minus one, John. My number four, uh, I've mentioned a couple of times now, is Maestro. Um, it was a film I just, I love the, that first, the black and white section in the beginning, I just thought was so cool. And I like when filmmakers use uh, different visuals for different time periods and that, like, it starts in black and white and everything's really exciting and it has that old Hollywood vibe to it. And then that dream doesn't quite hold up and the reality kind of sets in with the look and the aesthetic of the film. And again, Cooper's direction, Cooper's performance, uh, Mulligan's performance, which is my favorite element of the film. And honestly, just learning more about Leonard Bernstein in a way um, that I've quoted uh, my favorite biopic, I think, to date is Steve Jobs, because I love how they truncate the biopic, that they're not just doing a, a birth to grave movie and that's what the maestro does as well it it finds unique ways to introduce us to who the man was what he was like what it was like for his stuff and i'm sure there's a lot of people who would take issue with either things being left out or the way things are represented Mm -hmm. through that but i find those to be endlessly more compelling to watch than the birth to death format which sometimes works but often doesn't because a lot of times our lives they're not that interesting from moment to moment to moment there's just key moments that really pop and while bernstein has more than most people the ones that cooper tends to lean towards i thought was really compelling and i just i really enjoyed the movie maestro number four for john maestro number three now we're getting to the podium positions this one surprised me uh when i got to the end of it but um i love this film i adored it it's a festival film i mentioned it's smoking tigers oh wow just hit me a coming of age story done well works for me this was done very well i think again i mentioned all the reasons i mentioned earlier on relatively simple film but they smash they get the basics so right for me in everything uh technically and uh performance wise the writing's great and the emotions work as well i just think it's a really really intelligent film really well done and when i first saw it at tribeca i was blown away by it and then when i found that it was you know made because of the um the the project that i have going on there to 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 push up-and-coming filmmakers the untold stories uh project i was like wow this is this is the first film this is yeah, our first like, major film like this. And I know it did work very well on the festival circuit as well. And for good reason, I think it's a damn, damn fine film. So Smoking Tigers takes number three for me, John. What about you? My number three is Barbie. Um, a little more pedestrian, I think, than yours. But uh, I, I, I saw it and I went and saw it again the next day and I had fun. I was I was worried it wouldn't hold up the second viewing that I wouldn't have as much fun or I wouldn't be uh, laughing at the jokes as much. And I was. And so I walked out. In fact, I think I even had more fun the second time because it was a, a bigger screen and it was a bigger uh, auditorium. And there was it was packed because it was a Friday night. I went to the Thursday night the first time and I I've pretty much have been like it's in my top five since then and it's it stayed there i mean and this list is still living and breathing and there are times where i'm like "Mm, maybe it shouldn't be there maybe it should but 
Man, uh, I just thought there's so much to love. America Ferreira, uh, Margot Robbie, we haven't mentioned yeah. either of them, but I think they're great. The rest of that cast, there's so many great performances. Uh, Issa <laughs> Rae is tremendous as the president, yeah. Barbie, and, and and Michael Sarah as Alan. I mean, come on. It's just, it's great. <laughs> Alan. Um, but yeah. Um, I, I really love Barbie and I, I actually can't wait to rewatch it. I, I did buy it. I haven't got to watch it a third time, but it is on the list at some point to watch again. Barbie was my That's number great. six film of the year, JB. So just missed I out just missed. on number five, but number two, the silver medal just missing out on number one was a phenomenal film in its own right. It won for best animated feature Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. It's my oh. second best film of the year. Oh, I'm and, so curious. And for a while, for a long time it was number one it was the best because it, it is an incredible animated or not again i wish people didn't sleep on you know oh it's a cartoon yeah, or same. this no 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 but this is it's it is art this is art without getting too pretentious whatever this is art and it's incredibly good art um and we may, again mentioned earlier on all the reasons why i think this is probably the best comic book film ever and all the reasons why i'm worried about the next film because it's got to somehow yeah, equal this if not top it and be satisfying but for now, yeah, across the Spider Verse, emotional, hard hitting, funny, got me in all of the feels. Number two for me, across the Spider Verse, JB. How about you? My number two is Godzilla minus one. Wow. Um, a film that I've not mentioned uh, this whole time, but I went in with. You know, I mean, by the time I saw it, I'd heard nothing but great things. So I went with a lot of expectations and it exceeded them. Uh, it, I've always liked the character of Godzilla. I, there, as a kid, I used to watch Mystery Science Theater 3000. And at the time, a lot of them were Godzilla. Those are harder to see because of licensing things now at this point. Yeah. And I have not seen a lot of those films, the original Godzilla, outside of that format which is you know saying something but um i went and saw i remember i was so excited i saw the uh the matthew broderick 1998 godzilla and i i went and i i was slept on the 2014 one for a little bit but came to it really liked it i wanted this monster verse to be great it hasn't been great there have been some good moments there have been a lot of bad moments i'm not i'm really after seeing this one not sold on the one that's coming out in a couple of months <laughs> i think that's bad timing for them I'm but not- this movie and I've, I've taught the original Gojira um, in class. I, I know the history of it, and I, I have a lot of respect for that movie. It is Some of the effects are hard to watch, and it, it's a little slow, but I still have a special place in that heart. This movie, not only does it give a lot of love to the original, it, it just does what the original was trying to do in a modern setting with a impressive story behind it, that it's $15 million budget, and it looks better than the majority of a big blockbuster superhero movies from this year. And I am not one of those people who constantly bash the superhero movies. I am the yeah. one who's constantly defending them. And I, I, this movie just blows all of them out of the water. And again, how can I not love a movie that pays homage to one of my favorite filmmakers? There's Jurassic Park and Jaws in this film, but done in a way that feels organic and natural and it just works and like matt said i never thought i would be crying at a godzilla film but gosh darn it i cried at a godzilla film and it earned its way to number two on my list it could have it was so close to saying it was my favorite film of the year but it it is a masterpiece of a movie i cannot wait to own it yeah 100 percent agree jb now here we go we're here our favorite film of 2023 jb i'm so excited well you know there's been We've watched nearly 400 films between us, and it comes down to this. My number one film of 2023, John. And it, as soon as I saw it, I knew it. I knew it was Past Lives. My number one film of 2023. I think this is a sumptuous film. This 
earnest and personal drama. It just captures so perfectly the reality of not seizing the opportunities in front of you. And when I was watching it, I, I, I thought of this and even more so now. And my favourite trilogy of films, you know, artistically, is the Before Trilogy, the link later Before Trilogy. This is like oh, a yeah, beautiful right. counter to that in terms of the what if of it all and the, the themes of regret and kismet hit harder as the film gently and slowly unravels, but it always retains this gentle quality. It, it ensures it remains nothing but compelling. There's, there's no bad guys in this film in other films or with a less deft touch. You, 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 one of the characters in this film, John Magaro specifically, you know, he'd be the bad guy, you know, he'd be the, the obstacle, but no, not, not at all. You know, the way the film writes him is I think really well done. I think he's very good in the film, but the Brilliant. final acts yeah. in this film and not just the final like shot, but the final, the final third, the final half an hour of, of this film, 40 minutes, is some of the most powerful or are some of the most powerful and emotional scenes I've seen this year and possibly in recent years. You know, tears were shed. And for me, I couldn't help but reflect whilst watching this. I found myself going on a journey, a kind of what if. What if you've done this? What if you've taken this door? What if you've taken the red pill instead of the blue and all that kind of stuff? But, you know, Greta Lee, T.O.U., John McGarrah's layered performances, they deliver such real heart and very very excited to see what um celine song does next she's obviously my director of the year as well and you know this film about being in two two people who are in the wrong place simply at the wrong time and it, it, it's again it's a simple concept but it, it, it ain't nothing without the performances the writing and everything else that goes through it and the 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 philosophy of in yun the korean philosophy of in yun that they evoke throughout this film i think is done really well and just you know at one point hey sung um tou's character from korea says you know what if he says to nora greta lee's character you know what if this is a past life as well what we're what we've got now and we're already something else to each other in the next life damn and then the for the follow-up to that and the crushing finale it's it's an incredible film of uncertainty grief love lost love what ifs and the film handled it so well it's it hit me on an emotional level which i wasn't expecting I'd, again i'd heard buzz around the film i'd heard it was good but it got me it, it, it tapped into something here and i think maybe all of us probably watched it at some point your mind wanders somewhat during it and emotionally devastating but also beautiful resonating sumptuous delicious all of the all of the kind words this film blew me away and this is the film i mentioned that i think this has cracked my top 50 did it have the effect that maybe everything everywhere had on you last year maybe not yet god damn did i love this film jb so number one is past lives so over to you my friend i'm not gonna say as much for my number one because i've already talked about it it's Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Um, not only did I give it animated, it's my favorite movie of the year. It It is exactly what I want from a superhero film in every way. I think it is. Uh, and I, to be fair, for a long time, I rep Batman as my favorite hero. And I still, <laughs> there's a part of me that will always love Batman. But I have, over the last four years especially, kind of soured on a lot of Batman's politics. And um, even if it's more implied, I 
love Spider-Man. And I've always been a Spider-Man fan. As long as I can remember, it's always been Batman and Spider-Man 1 and 2. And Spider-Man has just become more and more and more of a character who I adore. And the thing I love most about this Spider-Man is it's not Peter Parker. As much as I love Jake Johnson as Peter Parker in this iteration, <laughs> I love getting to see Miles. I think Miles is such an interesting character. Um, I love Shamik's, uh I hope I said that right, uh, performance, especially having juxtaposed this with the Miles Morales game and Spider-Man 2. I love Miles in the game, but I love Miles in the movie. And that, that it's a different character. It's a different voice performance. And I really think Miles in the in these movies just work wonders. And like you said, the, the cast, I mean, in this movie in particular, the cast is way too extensive to bring up in, in total. Um, again, Issa Rae making an appearance. Um, but, uh, you know, Oscar Isaac's phenomenal. You get Haley Steinfeld is just incredible. And I do. I already argued that this movie sticks to landing. I can't wait for the next movie because of how it chooses to do the epilogue. The stuff it sets up, I'm like, I can't wait to explore all of that. Like, I want to see what happens next. Um, and the tease that we get some of what we had in that first movie, wow. it, which I love then, I can't wait to see that integrate and how it all plays out. And there's so many things that can happen and change. And, and man, I just... And the family dynamic between everything, like there's so much in this film to take and dissect. And again, we say this a lot about movies with great cinematography and stuff, but you could take any frame from this film and put it on this wall. And I would be like, wow, that's gorgeous. And um, proof is like the Central Florida, the Critics Association of Central Florida posted our, our wins and, and uh, Into the Spider-Verse was our... Um, animated film but the image that we use to to send the award i'm just like god that's such a gorgeous image and then i look at my steel book i'm like god that's such a gorgeous image and i look at the thing <laughs> sony sent us promoting i'm like god what a gorgeous image and yep. some of that is just the iconography of spider-man just being cool anyways but it's also the art style that they've brought into these films and the variety of art styles and oh my god i forgot to talk about daniel kalua like spider punk <gasps> spider punk oh my god how great is spider punk in this <laughs> movie like it, there's so much and that's the thing. There's so much, and it never feels like it to me. Like, there's so much you can take away, but it all feels separate and its own entity. They all exist. It doesn't just feel like a, a hodgepodge or a collage of all of those things. It does feel like I know that guy, and I know that guy, and I know that. And you can take any moment and pull 20 things, and yet they each feel distinctive and real and, and established. And it's just everything about that movie, the, from the animation to the acting to the storytelling, to me just works, and I loved it. And I, I haven't forgotten it at all. So, um, my best animated and best picture, I don't think that's ever happened on the Bampies. It definitely hasn't happened at the Oscars. Um, but, I, like Matt said, we gotta give animation more credit. It is one format of storytelling. It is not set in some type of age demographic or anything like that. We've had a lot this year that was clearly... Um, Boy in the Heron is not geared towards a younger audience and across the Spider-Verse, while I think is much more kid-friendly than Boy in the Heron mm -hmm. it is not kid-only and uh, I say the same thing with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Nimona not, they're not geared towards children I think Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Spider-Man work for children but I also think they work for adults if you slept on this movie yep. you need to see it yeah and i mean these films have already left an imprint you've only got to look online or go to conventions and see how many uh spider gwens or or spider girls whatever are out there now it's you know this has left an impression and like you said it ain't over yet we're getting more of these films and it's a worthy winner and had it not been for past lives for me being so damn um engaging and incredible this would have been mine as well so spider-man across the spider-verse past lives are our favorite films of 2023 but before we wrap up john 
let's, let's have a quick look. Let's have a quick kind of wink and a nod towards what's coming out of 2024 and just alternate of our top five anticipated films of the year. Do you remember what your anticipated films of last year were, by the way? No, not at all. Um, not at all. And I didn't look, so I don't know. Did but you? I remember mine. I do. Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay. I enjoyed. Indy 5. I enjoyed. Yeah. You know, the magic wasn't there, but I enjoyed. Then I put Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. Didn't come out. Dune Part 2. Pushback. Didn't come out. Pushback. The Exorcist Believer. I somehow didn't make best picture for me, but uh, I know it didn't get a lot of love, but I, I enjoyed it for what it was. So, they were my top five. So, none of them. Oh, you, you, you hated it, didn't you? But none of those made, really, to be fair, none of them, apart from Killers of the Flower Moon with cinematography, and that, really made a dent in my film choices this year. Interesting. I wonder, though, what I about mean, two or five couldn't. Two um, or five so, couldn't, but the other two didn't either. So, you know, what's, what's your first kind of most anticipated film of the year? Well, this year's looking weird. Um, while it's slim uh, right now, especially, there's a lot of stuff that got pushed back because of the strikes and things like that. And we have obviously some movies that we were looking at 2023 that are now 2024. But uh, my number five is one that I think people might think is stupid for me to have on this list. But I'm excited for The Fall Guy. Um, as I mentioned, I love Gosling. I, I love uh, his comedy. I like Emily Blunt. Let's give them together. I think they're going to have some great chemistry. The trailers look fun. I forget the director's name, but I think he did Bullet Train and um, is it Leach or uh, oh, David Leach? Uh, yeah, uh, I've I've liked his movies, uh, even though some people haven't. I've enjoyed them, so I'm like, okay, you're giving me that guy who's done some really fun, crazy action movies. I thought Bullet Train was a lot of fun. That's what I'm hoping for Fall Guy. I'm hoping it's just going to be a lot of fun and Gosling is just like in the trailer. There's so many scenes that Gosling's just it's it's giving me nice guy vibes. And I love that. So I'm just like, yes, give give me more of that Gosling. I'm all in. Um, and he's he's definitely got some Kennedy in that movie. Right. So yeah. that's my number five. I'm not going to have Kennedy. Uh, mine. I'm going to chuck in uh, Gladiator 2. Uh, Ridley Scott's sequel to Gladiator. Paul Muscal, Denzel Washington. Pedro oh. Pascal. Jim on Hunsau, Barry Keoghan, Connie Nielsen's coming back as well. Um, Russell Crowe, I mean, apparently, I mean, I'm not sure that's going to work, but Joseph Quinn is also in the film. I'm just going through the cast list there. It's a big old yeah. cast. I'm sure I've forgotten. Derek Jacoby. Uh, I'm big old cast. I'm interested I just, more I, because I w- can it work? I, I feel like this one's going to end up on your uh, not seen list again, like like the other two movies from this year. I, I don't think it's coming out this year. Um, it it supposedly is. I'm just like, ah, there's no way, right? Like, I mean, maybe for now. It just felt apparently. like it was announced. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's on all the list. Um, I'm not as hyped. I did like Gladiator. It's been a minute since I've seen it though, and I don't I don't have any real desire to rewatch it. Um, yeah, it was great when it, for sure, for sure. I saw it twice, even in theaters. I didn't love it as much the second time though. I was just like, yeah, it's really long. Um. <laughs> all right uh my number four i honestly i'm going to say two things about it uh because that's all i know about it and that's all i need to know mickey 17 robert pattinson working with bong joon ho i'm in new bong joon ho movie i'm i'm all in i i'm i'm i've seen almost his whole filmography i love most of his filmography he's he's got a movie with robert pattinson the dude who just seems to be able to act his way through anything even this freaking crappy twilight franchise I'm in. So that's all I need to know. I, I, the name. I'm like, is it like the 17th Mickey Mouse? I don't know what's going on here. I have no clue. Don't care. It's Bong Joon Ho and Robert Pattinson. I'm excited for it. Let me see it. Give it to me. Win. And I take, I take that, my friend. My number four is uh, the first Omen. Well, no, number four. One of them is the first Omen prequel to one of my favorite horror films, The Omen. Now, okay. 
if 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 anything if this year's taught me anything it's you know prequels or follow-ups to beloved horror films classic horror films don't always go the way you think they're gonna go i'm looking at you believe it. i enjoyed it i know everyone else hated it so i kind of went into the first and i was like man this is gonna stink when i realized that blumhouse are nowhere near it which is good so it might be taken seriously and i looked at the talent behind it i'm like okay you've got um neil tiger freeze in it sorry neil tiger freeze in it well, Bill Nye's in it, Ralph Ineson, Charles Dance. Yes. got a very decent cast to it. And I look looking at the what the story's all about, I thought, okay, that sounds quite good. Wouldn't mind seeing the trailer. Lo and behold, not long before this episode aired, uh, recorded, oh. the trailer has dropped. I, I like that. I really like the look of this. It doesn't really say anything too okay. much about what's going on, but the tone of it looks very good we're not talking jump scares or anything like that here it's about feeling it's about tone it's ev- it's evocative it gets people going um and yeah it, it's what i want i hope it's good it could be awful but the trailer looks good april release i think so yes. that's a bad sign it's yeah. not a good sign but there's so many films coming out throughout the year you got to put it somewhere i guess sometimes there's some really empty weekends already in the first quarter of the year. So like, uh, although that was one of the empty weekends, I actually was making our schedule for the BAMP and I left it off. Cause I was like, this looks like it's a B movie. And then I was like, wait, is it, a, is it connected to the omen? Which I, I still didn't know, but you've confirmed could, that it is. It could have um, been, it's, it's got everything about it, but then I look at everything about it. And also this is a bit of trivia, not to take up all the time, but Arcasia Stevenson, who's directing this. The reason why I think it's coming out in April, my friend is because, She's also got a film come. I don't know if anyone, if anyone knows anything about the, the Omen, you know, the, the film has a jackal in it, or at least a reference to the, a jackal. Very, very r- huge part of the film. She's got a film coming out, I think maybe next year, called The Jackal. And oh. most of the cast in it are in the first Omen. So I'm thinking we've got okay. a kind of a, an X and a Pearl type thing going on where that film's... Are, being made at the same time and we're going to have two films gotcha. which are almost concurrent so i think that's why it's cut they want to get it out early this one so they can get this next one out afterwards but okay speculation what's next for you mate my number three is jeff nichols new film that was supposed to come out this year that then got delayed uh to 2024 and it's the bike riders um i mean the cast alone is compelling but i've i've really loved jeff nichols films i've taught uh take shelter i've taught uh mud i've taught uh midnight special and um i think his last film was loving is that right like uh yes you know he which is crazy because it's been like six seven years since his last movie and i don't know why but i i'm a big fan of his films uh he you know this one um tom hardy and um elvis i don't remember elvis's name um austin Austin butler Butler. austin butler i got there um i'm man i'm all in i can't wait to see this movie i wish it i i can't get there soon enough uh so yeah jeff nichols making a film i, I want to see it I, again high expectations yeah I, I dig it my friend uh my third one sticking of horror maxine maxine i'm all in for me a oh, i dude i haven't seen that on the list anywhere but uh, yeah please i cannot wait for that uh, i don't think it's if i a... seen that on my list it would be in there yeah the, it would be in my top five for sure hands down i don't think it's got a Okay, a set in stone. It's definitely coming out this year. They've said that. I don't know if it's got a definitive date yet, but X loved it. Pearl, wonderful. Mia Goff, you are Goff, we all Goff. She's can't do no wrong at the minute. Like Infinity Pool was one of my favourite films of the year. It didn't make any of the lists, but it could well have done. Yeah, I'm, I'm in for anything she does. So Maxine is. I, I cannot wait for that. Hopefully, top off that trilogy. Agreed. Um, 
staying with a similar type of vibe as far as uh, fandom, Anya Taylor-Joy, I'm almost in on anything she's attached to, and George Miller's Furiosa prequel to Mad Max Fury Road is coming out. Um, Miller is a a filmmaker who's so, his filmography is so weird and so unique, and I'm just, uh, Mad Max (laughs) Fury Road was a movie that I almost didn't go see in the theater. I was just like, yeah, whatever, I don't really care about fast cars, and then was blown away by that movie. I have seen it multiple times. I am such a fan. It is a masterpiece, and I am hoping he can bring even, if he can bring half of that to Furiosa, it's going to be a masterpiece. And if it's better somehow, if he somehow like helps his game because wow. no one saw fury road coming no one expected fury road no to do one. what it did if he does that here man and i gotta say with hemsworth as the villain i'm like please let like let this be incredible um i am a little worried because of the prequel of it all but at the same time like the cast and this dude's he's a he's a unique filmmaker and i'm just really really excited to see furiosa uh i think it's they're calling it furiosa mad max saga or something like that something they got that, yeah. they want to make sure people know mad max is in it but but he's not mad max is not in it but that is part of that world <laughs> uh didn't make my five actually which is annoying because it probably should have done but I had to stick true to my guns, man. Two of my films from last year, spoiler, didn't come out. So the, so my penultimate oh, okay. film is Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. Man, listen, we both love... We're, we're, we're Ghostbusters fan, man. You're a huge, you're a huge Ghostbusters yeah. fan. We both dug Afterlife. We love the service we got as fans in it. And now I'm, I'm excited to see where the next chapter goes. Not a huge fan of the title. We've said that before on the show. I think the title's a little bit too comic booky, but... I'm we've got the the OG are back. They've made no secret about the old guard are coming back. You know how long they'll last in the films is we'll see, in terms of their characters. But it's Ghostbusters. They're back. Who are you going to call? Hopefully these guys. So I'm looking forward to that one, my man. What about you? What's your last one? My last one is a surprising one for me. If you've uh, paid attention, because I, I there's two reasons why this shouldn't be on the list. Uh, Robert Edgar's Nosferatu. Um, one. I have yet to find a Nosferatu movie that I love. Um, I have tried all of them. Good point. I think I, I might be missing one still. I tend to not like vampire movies. Um, but and 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 I I need to rewatch it. I didn't love The Witch. Um, it's it's a film I feel like I saw at a time that I shouldn't have seen it. I don't think I was ready for that type of horror film. And I do. Um, I've been meaning to go back to it. And I've already mentioned Anya Taylor Joy, and there she is. But I've loved everything else Edgar's has done. I've loved The Lighthouse. I love the uh, the Northman. I thought the Northman was incredible. And man, what I've seen for Nosferatu, I just and what I've heard about, like I think he invented a lens for this movie. Like I'm just, yeah. dude, he's a filmmaker that I'm just like, yeah, I'm gonna even if I don't like it, I'm hyped for it. And I'm like, maybe finally, I'm gonna get a Nosferatu movie that I think is worth my time like obviously i have some love for the the german expression original because of what it does but man do i think it's boring as heck and <laughs> i feel even more so of her songs her songs is like hey what if we really stretch it out Ooh. and add nothing interesting to it and i like her song so i'm just like this story doesn't work for me and yet i am really really hyped for Edgar's version of it. So I'm, I, I've made it number one. I'm like, I'm so interested to see what he's doing. I just think it's going to be a really cool film. Maybe it'll finally be one that clicks. Hopefully I, that should have made my list as well, just because of the Eggersness of all of the talent. But um, yeah. I had to stick with my guns. My favorite film of 2021, I think was Dune. Dune part two is also now going to make my list. I cannot wait to see 
what Denis Denis Villeneuve is always a win. I, I'm still I yet to rewatch Arrival. Need to I, I know oh God, give I've me seen that crap so many for that, times. but for not thinking, I thought it was okay when I first saw it. Not great. I need to rewatch it. But since then, you know, Blade Runner, uh, twenty forty nine, Dune, just the visuals, the everything about what he does is a huge win for me. So, and Dune Part Two, for everything I've seen of it. It looks like it's going to top the first one. It's going to have a bit more action for those who weren't it as does. into the first one. Uh, there's going to be more Zendaya in it for for those who are in for more Zendaya. It, it had to be my most anticipated of the year, and fingers crossed. Will it crack any of the? Will any of our ten films crack our top list next year? Well, you'll have to tune back in next year to find out. But it's not a bad ten if I'm being slightly biased. It's not a bad ten. One that I, I, I don't I couldn't find an official release date for it, but Richard Linklater's movie Hitman with Glenn Powell, who Glenn Powell has a co-writing yes. credit. Um, it was supposed to come out this things. year and then it got delayed. I, I, me too, and I'm so hyped for it, but I, I couldn't find confirmation that it's actually coming out yeah. this year. It, it has to be because people have seen it; yeah. like it exists. It's a movie, but I found no date, so I didn't want to put you it on the list. Glenn but Powell I think that's an easy, well. like. I am so on the Glenn Powell hype train. Yeah. That dude is a yeah. movie star. Uh, I think we're finally going to see emerge. And yeah, so and I like I like a lot of Linklater stuff. I don't love all of his stuff, but there's some of his movies yeah. really really resonate. As we mentioned the before trilogy for both of us, uh, masterclass, right? So um, I'm obviously Hitman's not going to do that, but I am very. I want to see what this movie is, especially. I, I think it got pushed back because the killer and Hitman they felt like maybe were too yeah, similar in, in messaging. But either way, folks, that is our Bampies episode for 2023's Year of Cinema. It was a great year. We want to know what you thought. Uh, what were your favorite films of the year? Tell us. You know, we we love this. Obviously, our list can change. There might be movies that we we come back to and we're like, oh, we were way off on that one, or that one was a masterpiece. How did we not put Aquaman: The Lost Kingdom as our number one? <laughs> what are we thinking? Quantum is brilliant piece of art um you know uh but next week we're going to really talk art as we are going to watch the new horror film night swim that does have an oscar nominated actress in it so you know maybe it's great it's the right the, point the first weekend in january 2024 usually a good sign to be fair to be <laughs> fair we've had a good horror movie in january every year of like the last four years so yeah. maybe maybe it's good it does not look good, but we're going to talk about it anyway. So uh, join us as we discuss Night Swim next week. Um, and for, in the meantime, you can follow us on social media. Um, I have lost my train of thought because I got a text message. Uh, on Instagram, we're at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. And Twit Matt, where are we on Twitter? Jesus God, I'm so sorry. We've done Sean is blowing up my now. phone. <laughs> Tuna, get lost. We've done it for six years. On Twitter, we are at BAMP underscore podcast. B-A-M-P underscore podcast. And we're making some tickety talks now. We're not dancing yet, but maybe I can convince yeah. Matt to do it if he has a few extra drinks, a little spike in the tea, <laughs> and who knows. But uh, we're at Bloody anything. Awesome Movie Pod on TikTok. Facebook, just search Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Individually, you can follow me at BurkeReviews.com and at BurkeReviews on all the social media platforms. Matt, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me, whatiwatchtonight.co.uk, and just search what I watch tonight across all the socials, including Letterboxd. And if you like the podcast, especially the Bampy episode, which is probably our longest episode ever, I'm not sure. I don't remember how long last year's was, but um, we'd love for you to give us a rating on whatever podcast catcher you use to listen. So if you're on Spotify, if you're on Apple Tunes, 
Apple Podcasts. I don't know what they call it anymore. I don't use Apple product. Looney Tunes. G- give us that five-star rating. It helps other people find our show, and that's all we're asking for. We're not asking for a whole lot. Just that if you enjoy the content, you help other people find the content so they, too, can partake and enjoy. There's enough of us to go around. Um, with that, we encourage you to keep watching movies. And stay bloody awesome.